0: APG. It's
1: the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 337.
2: Yeah, in the sky. It's the Airline
1: Pilot Guy. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy show, the view from our side of the cockpit door. I'm Captain Jeff, your host, broadcasting live from Studio 322 in the Embassy Suites Recording Studios in Des Moines, Iowa. Today's episode: helicopter-quadcopter near collision, runway excursions, laser attacks, and federal air marshal shenanigans. More news, your feedback, and this week's plane tale: Mayday, 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 Cathay 780. So get all settled in, tray tables and seat packs in their upright and locked positions, electronic devices powered on. Flight 337 is ready for pushback. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's a weekly podcast where we talk about aviation news and answer our great community's wonderful feedback. And joining me today to help me with that is a young lady from her lakeside studio in South Carolina. She's a doctor, a skydiver, a marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated pilot. Dr. Steph.
3: Good afternoon, Captain Jeff. It helps if I unmute myself. Uh, the reason, <laughs> no problem. <laughs> probably be um, a little more conscientious of the mute button today because it is a glorious day here in South Carolina. So I have all the windows open. So I'm probably the one responsible for the ambiance this afternoon. Okay. You know, birds and dogs and trucks driving by and random things.
1: Well, that's fair, and I'm sure we'll enjoy all the ambiance. And also joining us from across the pond, and his studio in England, professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, current captain for an international airline based in London. Captain Nick.
0: Good evening, uh, Captain Jeff, and hi there, lovely Steph. Hi, it's a super evening here in the UK. And uh, I've been waiting uh, most of the day to do this because I haven't had a lot on today. So uh, I'm really happy that we've got going. It's looking forward to a good show.
1: Excellent. And uh, I'm looking forward to it as well. Um, Steph, we missed you last week.
3: I know. I missed you guys, too. I actually got to listen to most of the show as it happened. Um, I thought I was supposed to have a meeting last week, so I... Hung around at work, just outside of work for a while, and went back for the meeting, only to find out it was um, rescheduled.
1: Oh, uh, your personal uh, secretary did not advise you of this. Well, you know, uh, they sent change. me an
3: email, but it went to my work email, which I only check when I'm at work, and I had checked it that morning, and then I had left work for the day, and it came through sometime after that, which was disappointing. Mm.
1: Timing is everything, they say. But
3: while I was waiting for the meeting, I did manage to have a beer while I was listening to you guys and your wonderful discussion um, last week about the was that the um, Q400 error. incident? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was that was great and really good discussion. It was a good episode. Well, you know,
1: speaking of discussing our discussing of the Horizon Air Q400 incident tragedy, I guess uh, another aviation podcast out there and one that focuses on uh, air traffic control stuff and they dabble in other things as well but mostly uh, air traffic control because that's what they do for a living Um, opposing bases they uh, contacted me and captain nick and asked if it would be okay if they used some of our discussion regarding that on their show and then they went on i'm sorry
3: different different uh... yeah
1: that's a completely different subject (laughs) You know, I I almost stopped you
3: before that. Losing my
1: mind. Hit
0: the edit button. Hit the edit button. Yeah. (laughs) Do you want to start again? Man. Mm. It's uh, it's his age, folks. Don't worry. (laughs) I'm not really sure how to recover this one.
3: Need some memory Um, juice there.
1: Yeah. What I need is alcohol, Alcohol. and this is just water. Mm. That's my problem. That's,
3: That's where you went wrong today. Yeah. Yes.
1: No, I mean, today has just been one of those days where I've, I've been kind of in a funk doing all kinds of weird things and, you know, stuff that I don't normally do, and I think, what's wrong? And then I'm thinking to myself, well, I still have like a little over five years to go before I'm forced to retire, but maybe I should retire now. <laughs> or well, i just put
0: it down to uh, uh, the male menopause. Yeah, that could be.
1: Maybe I just didn't get a good, solid, you know, quality night's sleep or something. I don't know. Anyway, so I was going to try to make that great connection between was, our was... show and their show, but it was a completely different subject. And That, that subject – and by the way, I'm just going to leave all this in because it's very entertaining. It may not be very educational, but it's very entertaining. So, um, yeah, what I was trying to do is tie – Something that we discussed last week with uh, another aviation podcast, Opposing Bases, Uh, and that actually was the incident regarding Shamrock uh, Aer Lingus taking off out of John F. Kennedy International and the – very friendly John F Kennedy controller and how he uh, reacted to it and then their their interchange etc if, if you listen to the show you know what we're talking about last week's show and uh, so that I thought that was kind of cool uh, to hear their perspective I was listening to their recording their shows uh, recording when I was on the way to work for my trip that I'm on now and when I when I was taking the train and uh, I was it was very very interesting I'm glad they did that and I'm glad that we kind of have this sort of collaboration not really but yeah so if you haven't listened to opposing bases podcast you should uh, definitely do so especially yep. that last episode. i'm looking forward
3: to that episode i haven't had a chance to listen yet but i've actually got some different feedback about a different uh, incident that i want their commentary on um because i think it's probably a good reminder for a lot of pilots out there so look out guys i'm sending that your way probably this weekend
1: Yes. Yeah, so if you're if you're listening to our show, look for that. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, somebody in the chat room saying, w- uh, where's Dana? Well, Dana is uh, still mm-hmm. vacationing. Apparently, he's got uh, a busy uh, social schedule going on there. I think he's got family in, in town Spurna. or something. Some I think so. Lines. Yeah. In-laws, I think he said. Mm-hmm. And uh, very likely if the weather I don't know what the weather's like in Atlanta today, but I would imagine they're probably out on that uh, big tri tri-tune pontoon boat out on the lake and uh, so i hope they're having a great time. And we uh, uh
0: it's, it's looney tune, isn't it? Not a try tune.
1: A looney tune. Yeah, well no the looney tune is yeah. the guy, the captain of the uh, the skipper of, <laughs> of the boat. <laughs> but um anywho. oh, you know, keep in mind by the way, Looney, because we're going to we're going to probably talk about that later in the show and feedback. We are. A reference to that uh that word. Um yeah. So, uh, and while speaking about the uh, opposing bases podcast, we would be uh, uh, remiss if we didn't uh, mention the fact that there's another great AV, I mean uh, well, it's an aviation podcast that also uh, deals somewhat with air traffic control because its host is also an air traffic controller at a tower in Southern California. And that podcast, by Brandon Gonzalez, or should I say BG? No, he uses his full name, uh, is called Podcasting on a Plane. And the uh, those two podcasts uh, just recently collaborated together, and uh, they had an interview. RH and uh, BG were interviewing each other, I guess. And uh, so they played half of it on the Opposing Bases podcast and the other half on pod- Podcasting on a Plane podcast. So that's an interesting connection between two separate podcasts that, well, you'll just have to listen to see that there are eerie similarities between the host of one of the hosts of opposing bases and the host of podcasting on a plane. So very, uh, very cool stuff going on out there. Um, so Steph, uh, other than the meeting that, uh, was rescheduled last Thursday, what have you been up to?
3: Um, so I was out of town for most of the rest of that week, which is why it was not a good week for me to join you guys on other days. That was kind of my one chance to maybe slide in and and join you guys for a few hours on the show. Um, I had a continuing education event in Chicago, so I was there for the weekend, um, and turned it into a little bit of a vacation on the side too, which was, which was nice. We actually had tickets to see Hamilton. So that was excellent. I can highly recommend the musical if anyone is on the fence about, spending a lot of money to get tickets to go see it Um, how
1: much was it
3: uh, more than i'm going to say Uh, we had excellent seats um you know kind of the front row of the dress circle which is the first balcony in the theater in chicago so that was a little yeah well it was a it was a birthday gift for someone so i don't mind spending a little bit extra money on it and it was it was well worth it it was a lovely Um, evening lovely weather in chicago yeah exactly that's how i like well it's a gift.
0: <laughs> I'm I'm very envious of you seeing Hamilton. What was it like? Oh
3: it was it was amazing. I mean if you if you listen at all to the soundtrack the entire play is sung. So the soundtrack is the entire thing. So I already knew wow. all of the music going into it but it was just really wonderful to see it put all together on on stage and acted out. Um, definitely recommend.
1: So did you get a lot out of your Conference. No, the conference the was Chicago. fantastic.
3: Um, that's one of the better conferences. Uh, I try to go to the high quality ones, the high yield ones. Um, it's always a good review. They always have good, um, kind of, uh, academic, well, more academic folks, folks than I, people who work at large academic centers and do a lot of teaching, um, so they bring in some really high-quality radiologists and anatomists, and they go through a lot of the anatomy that we deal with on a day-to-day basis, but maybe don't think about in that great of detail always as we're doing our just day-to-day job. So it's a nice refresher on everything.
1: So, let's talk anatomy. Shall no, we? let's not. No, let's not.
3: I can hear people turning off their <laughs> podcast players right now. Just uh, like, oh, we, we, like,
0: we love it. We all watch Gray's Anatomy.
3: Yeah, that's um, exactly how it goes in the hospital. Just like that, <laughs>
0: yes.
3: And then it was a it was a gorgeous weekend in Chicago. The weather was was good for the most part. A couple showers here and there. And unbeknownst to me, I, there is an aviation uh, connection here. It was the Chicago Air and Water Show was on over the weekend, which for the money is the best air show I've been to in a long time because it's free. Um, oh. <laughs> so I went um, Sunday morning. We had some brunch. Uh, it was kind of an all day thing, ten to three. Had some brunch, and then I. Caught the train up to the North Avenue Beach, um, where there were about a million people. No joke, it was quite crowded. Um, no it was exaggeration. Just, it was just me, and I didn't have any stuff with me, so I kicked off my flip flops, had shorts on. I wandered right out to the, you know, the beach, the edge where the water comes up. So I was standing in the water, which was surprisingly warm for Lake Michigan. Um, I would guess maybe mid seventies. It felt.
0: That's all those people relieving themselves. Yeah, probably.
3: I mean, there were a lot of people in the water too. <laughs> <laughs> And um, I, as soon as I got there, first, there was some, um, I don't know which aerobatic team it was that was putting on a show as I was walking up. I couldn't quite tell from where I was, but it was a nice display. And then the next thing immediately was the F-35. And then it was the aeroshell display team. And then um, Sean D. Tucker right after that in his nice. his aerobatic display. And then there was a little bit of a gap. Then they had both the Golden Knights, the Army Parachute Demonstration Team, as well as the, I think it's the Navy Elite Frogs. demonstration team as well i i've never seen them before but they were actually really good um and then a little bit of a break again another um single pilot demonstration uh aerobatic demonstration i forget who that was too off the top of my head and then closed out with the thunderbirds so for a
1: what about do they have any married pilot demonstrations or just the single pilot just the single pilots just just
3: the ones that aren't uh, yeah was he he available (laughs) maybe maybe Um, but yeah, I, I
0: I didn't I didn't catch uh, were the blues there?
3: No, the thunder blue Thunderbirds, and every year it's one mm. or the other. I always oh. managed to see the Thunderbirds. Doesn't matter which air show I go to, the Thunderbirds are there. It's never the Blue Angels, <laughs> oh so. but they they were fantastic. Oh. Actually, it was they put on a really long display. Um, I was surprised at how long they flew for, and uh, and I got very sunburned. So shame on me for not reapplying sunscreen. I did in the morning, but it clearly did not last the entire day. And then I still managed to get a 15-mile run-in with my my cousin who lives in the Chicago area before I jumped on a plane and came home. Wow. So it was a jam-packed weekend.
1: Yeah. So I never have gone to any air shows and got completely burnt.
3: Never. That never happens at no. air shows.
1: Like pretty much every air show that I've ever been to, I think I have.
3: <laughs> oh, well. I, I was really impressed. I mean, it was a great, um, you know, for a free air show. And right on, I mean, the, you can't get a better location than that. It's right on the... Shore there on Lake Michigan, you've got the city kind of to the south in the background, and there's a lot of different places to watch it from. So if you ever find yourself in Chicago, I guess kind of this time of year in August, check and see if the Air and Water Show is on. Chicago. It's a great town.
1: It's my kind of town. All right. Um, My apologies to... Dean Martin and Frank Sinatra and anybody else
0: who sang that song. <laughs> the entire of the Rat all, they, they all did, didn't they? Rat Pack. pack. They? Rat
1: Pack, yeah. Um, okay, well, excellent. Well, we're glad that you could join us this week, Steph.
3: Yes, me too. Looking all forward right. to a good show.
0: Uh, Nick, how about yourself, sir? Well, I'm back at work. So great. I did a trip to New York. That um, was just a sort of a training trip. And... Uh, very went very well. I'm very pleased that I hadn't forgotten how to fly the airplane. I managed to put it down on the runway in New York without breaking anything. So that was kind of cool. In fact, uh, Ian, the training uh, captain, sitting beside me in the first officer seat, was uh, a very, very nice guy to do that kind of a uh, get, you know, clear the cobwebs out kind of trip. He he got a lovely manner with him. He, he's quite. Happy to um, you know remind you of the things you're not doing quite right, but in a very pleasant way. So they're just delightful chap. So that was good. Next trip off to Dubai, uh, beginning of September, which will be a check of competency, and then I'll be uh, you know off with the um, uh, the lads again, and um, then later on in uh, next month, we're, I'm coming to Atlanta, which I'm looking forward to. Um, what else has been happening? Um, Okay, apologies to opposing bases because I have had a couple of messages from the guys. Uh, I still need to send some feedback about uh, um, AJ's comment uh, that all airplanes need to be helicopters. I've composed that bit of feedback in my head so many times, uh, but I haven't actually got around to recording it yet. But when I do, it'll be a doozy. Um, And, uh, of course, I understand they've... uh, Uh, commented on our comments. So I look forward to um, hearing those as well. But uh, to be absolutely truthful, they fell off my podcast app, and I never noticed. So I haven't actually had the usual reminders that there are, you know, ones waiting to listen to. So I usually have plenty of time to do that walking the dogs and things. So that's Mm -hmm. great. Uh, on the same subject, uh, I have told uh, SWANIC, uh, which is the sort of uh, a traffic control center for the UK, that they're looking for airline pilots to come and join them for their training days. Uh, they often have uh, sort of training days where they want airline pilots to be them in discussions, safety discussions, and the simulator uh, room, et cetera. So um, I, I've been there a few times before, looking forward to the chance of doing it again, if they take me up on my offer, because I know they're looking for guys to do that. Do
1: they have you like run um, around with your arms out, and like you're an airplane, and then they control you? Uh, yep, that's exactly okay. right. Yep, that yeah. that's, airplane I,
0: noises, I, too. Now, I, <laughs> now I'm a 747 crash. <laughs> oh, now um. I'm a 787. I sit on the ground. And... Um, don't move. Now I'm an A340 and I fly like a bird.
3: <sighs> At least you didn't mention the mad dog, Jeff. That's,
0: that's okay. Crazy. No, I didn't. No, that's what, <laughs> it's not worth that's mentioning That's I my anymore. trousers. <laughs> 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 um, this weekend, uh, one of my other uh, activities is lawn bowls, some of you may know, which is a gentleman's sport played here in the UK where we... Um, you know, bowl, uh, bowls along on a nice flat piece of grass. Um, but the finals weekend for our club competitions are coming up. And I'm in a quite a big club. I'm very excited because I'm in the final of two singles competitions. And I have won one of them before, but not the other. And the one I really want to win is the club championship. That's the big, you know, top dog of the club. I'd love to win that. That would be fantastic. Not even got into a final before, but this year I am. So fingers crossed for Saturday. Uh, And um, one of the lovely things is that a friend of mine from my days uh, in the Australian Air Force flying F-18s, Rowie, um, who uh, sort of took me under, took Gillian I under his arm a little bit when we first came into the country because we got into the country at the end of the year and the Australian Air Force basically shuts down over the entire Christmas. They like take six weeks off. And uh, I really didn't know what was going on. And he said, well, look, you'll, you'll be on your own. You don't know what's going on. So come and spend Christmas with us. And uh, we became firm friends. He uh, has been flying for Qantas for many years uh, and uh, very slow promotion in Qantas. So Rowie is uh, is now a first officer, taking him years to get to that position. And he's just converted onto the three hundred and eighty. So uh, he's uh, bringing the 380 into London uh, tomorrow, and then we're going to get together over the weekend and uh, have a few beers and talk about old times. That'll be great. So I'm really looking forward to that. What
1: do you mean that he has just now made it to first office? Is there a position below that?
0: Oh, yeah. They start off as second officers. And, and what does a second
1: officer do? I mean, second officer, like for my airline, when we had airplanes that had flight engineers, that was the second officer position. But no other. No, no.
0: Uh. no in Qantas, I, I gather their are cruise, nothing but cruise Oh, pilots. cruise pilots. So okay. okay. Yeah. Okay. They, they don't sense. sit in the seat for uh, takeoffs or departures. They only do the cruise. And, you know, someone like Roey, who uh, did many years in the Australian Air Force, uh, incredibly good pilot. Uh, I just feel for him, it must have been frustrating for those years to do nothing but sit in the seat just for the middle bit and never do a approach. And Do they, do they uh, have to up. keep up uh, landing
1: and approach currency or, or not?
0: I don't think so. Huh. Well, I don't know. They, they might do. I don't know the ins and outs. Huh. I know they went into the simulator fairly regularly. No, so they the could, could sort of practice it there. Yeah. But uh, whether they had a requirement to keep up uh, their recent sea for landings, I don't know. I could well, ask him that. Yeah, but, uh, that's interesting. But he's, he's been a first officer for a little while now. And I, I think it'll still take him some time before he gets a chance for a command course. But huh. um, I'll find out. I haven't seen him for a few years now. I'm praying He's bringing me a bottle of Galway Pipe, which is a beautiful uh, Australian port. Now, some people will say there are better ones, but all the time I was in Australia, I didn't taste a better one. And, uh, you know, he often brings me a little... A taster, a little bottle of that, which is just lovely. The, the Aussies were really into their port when I was out there oh. and they make some wonderful wines. And of course, because they make good wines, they make great ports. It's lovely.
1: Well, uh, in our chat room, Hurricane Lane Street uh, <laughs> says, uh, "Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, getting, Lane. <laughs> putting two things together. I'm he's, sorry. He's been
3: <laughs> taking a lot of grief for that from certain people. <laughs> I recently. I so.
1: Anyway, he says, uh, sounds like Nick needs to do a
0: recording with his friend. That would be fascinating. Uh, yeah, that would be, if we get a chance, yeah, um, a chance, that would be a good idea because he's only with me, he's like Saturday afternoon, Sunday morning, mm-hmm. and he's got to fly home. So we'll have a go. All right. Well, if you do, I look forward
1: to listening. Um, all right. And for me, uh, let's see, what did I do? I think I actually, I was home pretty much the entire time. Um, Since we last recorded that last trip that I was on, I think we recorded on a Tuesday and then I was home that Wednesday. And then I've been off um, until yesterday. So I had a nice group of days off and I needed to be home because my wife and my youngest daughter headed back to uh, North Carolina to get my daughter situated in her new um, apartment dorm thing. And uh, so I I was there to take care of the animals and stuff.
3: Apartment dorm uh, thing?
1: Yeah, it's like a, it's kind of like a, an apartment where you have like a common area oh, and then okay. four other it, yeah, or yeah, three yeah. other roommates, so four all together, and then you each have your room and, and like and a bathroom, bathroom. On suite or something. Yeah, mm-hmm. that seems to be the thing that a lot of schools are way. doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but when I when uh, when I lived in a dorm at Georgia Tech back in the eighteen uh, uh, hundreds, <laughs> um, no, actually it was the nineteen seventies. Uh, I was in a dormitory where you. Uh, had a roommate and you didn't have your own bathroom. You had to go down the hall to the common bathroom and it was an interesting experience.
3: That was my first dorm room too. So yeah. There you go. My second uh, dorm room was more of an apartment, but it was still on campus.
1: That was my one and only dorm room. After that experience, I said, I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> my next year I stayed mostly in a, uh, in a mobile, uh, like a, not a mobile home, but a, a trailer, um, like a single, single wide. wide trailer out near the vet school, because that was the only place I could find, Someplace to stay for that year. That, uh, and then the rest of the time was apartments, like a regular apartment.
3: Trailer apartments.
0: for sale and rent.
3: I have a good song mm-hmm. for that. Mm-hmm. It ain't it home. So you take the wheels off.
0: Sounds <laughs> <laughs> like we've all got a song about it. Maybe. It was a
1: high class trailer, let me tell you. <laughs> okay, anyway, uh, so here I am back on this trip. Uh, yesterday I was uh, back at Dulles where I was. Twice last trip, and uh, I met up with uh, Robert uh, Fairbairn. uh, Both of those days, both of those layovers last week, and he was uh, one of our guest hosts uh, in Steph's absence. And uh, he, I told him again. I said, "I I hope you don't mind, but I'm back in uh, or at Dulles in Fairfax, Virginia. And uh, if you have nothing going on, uh, let's get together and do something." And he said, "Why don't we do lunch?" So he um, actually – I managed to get myself to DCA, uh, National Airport, from where I was staying in Fairfax. And uh, he picked me up from there, and then we went to Annandale, Virginia. And I guess uh, they have a a very focused uh, concentration of uh, Asian-style cuisine and restaurants there. And we were going to try to do a meetup, but um, uh, as far as I knew, nobody else was going to join us. It was just going to be Robert and I. And he goes, you know, uh, Korean barbecue, have you ever been to a Korean barbecue restaurant? And I said, no, I have not. And he goes, I think uh, it's going to be like too much food for just the two of us. And I said, OK, I, I trust your judgment. And he goes, why don't we go to this um, Chinese uh, noodle shop kind of place. And I went, okay, let's do that. And so that's what we did. Had some great food from, uh, A uh, and J restaurant in Annandale. And, uh, if you feel like, uh, you know, kicking in a little bit of, uh, you know, money, uh, for that, uh, promotion, feel free. It's feedback at airlinepilotguy.com. Actually, I should tell them, uh, well, never mind. Um so we did that and then while we were there uh, about halfway through we were joined by another gentleman who has been at a previous APG meetup in Norfolk Virginia it was Joe Driver and he was driving home from uh the uh, Nag's Head or something like that and he stopped in Norfolk Virginia to be with us for our meetup there uh several months ago and uh, it turns out that Joe and I knew this, I'd just forgotten that he was up in the Maryland area. And he he drove down, I think it was about an hour drive for him, I, from what I can tell. Uh, but he joined us for lunch at A&J Restaurant. So it was nice seeing you, Joe. Thank you very much for taking the time to drive all that way just for, you know, that little bit of a time uh, there at the restaurant. But we enjoyed each other's company. And, uh, so that, and I didn't record any audio. So you're spared. You don't have to listen to... Meetup audio this week.
3: Aww.
0: I think it's quite nice when you have a meet up and you don't have to do it. I know, ambience. it's kind of refreshing. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah,
1: it's good fun. You can actually concentrate on, you know, What's actually having on? conversations yeah.
0: with
4: Enjoying people. Enjoying
3: it. Uh, company. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: So um, next trip, I'm in Sarasota for two layovers uh, at the end of this month. And I'm thinking, uh, we're not sure exactly when we're going to be recording the next episode next week. Um, but... I can tell you that um, one of those days we can have some sort of a meetup. So if you're listening to the show, <laughs> you're caught up with the podcast, and I'll put this out on social media as well. One of those days, probably the first layover I have there, the 28th uh, in Sarasota, Florida, and we'll get together and go to, to a barbecue place or maybe that uh, there's some a fish camp restaurant or something like that. Uh, a lot of people uh, say it was pretty good. So we'll uh, – be open to suggestions, but uh, we'll probably have some kind of a an APG meetup there. Uh, again, that's either the 28th or the 29th, I believe. I don't have my calendar in front of me, but in my notes here, I say 28th, maybe? Sarasota meetup, SRQ. Be there, baby. And then um, in September, uh, so I, we have a, a, a good friend and uh, uh, APG community member, Tanya, you probably heard her send us feedback uh, on previous shows. And she contacted me and said, Jeff, I'm going to be flying from Atlanta to Newark on Friday, the 21st of September on Acme Airlines. And I want you to be my captain. <laughs> I went, oh, well, okay. I, I'll see uh, what I can do about that. And so I looked at the trip and I kind of went, eh, eh. it's not the kind of trip that I would bid. It has four legs on the, you know, scheduled for four legs on that third day. And I'm thinking, and it's flying later in the day than I like to, but Tanya, love you. So uh, I bid for that trip and got it. And bonus is. Yeah, the
0: guy that was flying was probably going, whoa! Yeah.
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no, it was in the open. It was like the initial well, bid. It was open, and yeah, yeah,
0: nobody wanted it. Yeah, okay,
1: yeah, goodness. probably. Yeah. I don't think that anybody yeah. in my seniority range would. I mean, it even flies into a Saturday. <laughs> four, and that...
0: Four legs must be a dog of a trip.
1: Yeah, well, it's not. Uh, the first day is not bad. I think it's only one leg to Columbus, Ohio. So we're going to probably have a brief meetup there uh, because it's a very early morning the next day for me. So, uh, Columbus, Ohio, if you're in the area, James and uh, Jen, um, maybe uh, get together for a quick uh, meetup. And then the next day, uh, two legs to St. Louis, and I get in around midday in St. Louis. And so there have already been some folks that I've been talking to about a meetup there in St. Louis on the 20th. So if you're listening to this and you're in that area, uh, make sure that you sign yourself up for Slack. Hillel can tell you about – Hillel, no, not not yet. It's not time yet.
3: Too soon. Too soon, Hillel. Yes,
1: too soon. Anyway, he'll tell you about how you can uh, join Slack, um, and uh, we'll try to communicate via Twitter and Facebook as well. So uh, that that should be fun. I'm not sure where we're going to be and what time and all that kind of stuff, but that'll be the uh, 20th of uh, September in St. Louis. And then, as I said, the next day is my long four-leg day, but hopefully <laughs> – I know it's going to happen. I specifically bid for this. That means that I'm gonna get a reroute or something's gonna happen and we're not gonna end up in uh Aww. flying from Atlanta to Newark. <laughs> It'll be Aww. somebody else. But hey, I'm trying. I'm trying. Best Just you can do. Wife. Best you can do. Yes. The thought and, that counts. And uh, that's the thought that counts, that's for sure. So that's about it for me. Uh tomorrow, um, end up going to Atlanta and then doing a Birmingham turnaround. Uh, Birmingham, but we call it Birmingham. It's Alabama, y'all. And uh home in the afternoon and oh i got a uh, i'm good for another six months you'll be happy to know i I had a faa physical uh, with a new ame uh, who i really like a lot and uh, so that's going to work out well i think for the future and uh, he said jeff how long has it been since you've done blood work and i said i don't know."
3: Get that done regularly. Yeah. Don't worry what? about it. Everything is squeaky What's clean. Blood, what does that mean? <laughs> like blood work. What type of blood work are you blood asking for? Blood work.
1: And he goes, okay, you need to go and get some blood work. So that, that's what I'm going to do tomorrow when I get home from my trip. I'm going to uh, take myself over to one of those labs and have them poke me and take blood from me. Yay!
3: Mm.
1: No, yeah. yuck. Don't like that. Anyway, so that's it. You're all caught up now. Anything else we should talk about before we move on? No? Nope. Okay, because there's a lot of good news and feedback that we want to get to on today's show. So let's do this.
5: Johnny, how much more coffee? No, thanks.
1: I love coffee. I love tea.
6: I love the APG community.
1: Coffee and tea and the Java and me. Come on, Steph, sing with me. Cup, 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 cup. I see her; she's muted, but I can see her mouth moving. She, Remember that latency
3: <laughs> thing where it just won't match up right?
1: Yeah, yeah okay. that's my
3: excuse.
1: All right, we'll have to take what we can get, I guess. Uh, okay, coffee fund. We played the Java Jive. That's the the Jeff Smith uh, who uh, is singing the Java Jive for us. And the reason why we're doing that is because we're talking about the coffee fund. That's your way to contribute to our show. And if you have the resources to do so, we would appreciate it. And if you want to find out how to do that, I'll tell you at the very end of this little segment. But since the last show, we have some new classic Coffee Fund contributors. David Wilson, Matt Maranto, and Philip Boyd. And the other way to do it is become a patron via Patreon. And we have some new producers, uh, Kevin Then and Claire Aitken. Welcome to the Coffee Fund Cadre, both of you, and thanks to all of you for being patrons via Patreon and also part of our classic Coffee Fund Cadre, and learn more about how you can join us by heading over to airlinepilotguide.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did. Stand by for news. okay, let's start off with our first item in the news folder a Chinese plane skidded off the runway at Manila airport during a downpour um a Chinese plane do they mean a Chinese made plane or a plane owned by China
3: a Chinese um, airline of some sort
1: yeah, I don't like this headline you don't like so, the the
3: grammar the way it's composed yeah
1: it just
0: doesn't it's not working for me it's and a this it's is a from, Boeing
3: aircraft. And this is from timing. No,
0: look no, it, mm-hmm. it looks like some awful 737. It is a 737. I don't think the Chinese make that. They don't. But they might as well have done. <laughs> maybe
3: they make some parts for it. Seems like they make Probably parts do. for everything.
0: Yeah, the, uh, the gear and the wings and the fuselage, <laughs> tailplane, fin, uh, engines, moving on, as <laughs> cockpit. Matt Smith likes to say. Seats. Moving on. A <laughs>
1: Jamin Air plane sits on the grassy portion of the runway of the Ninoi Aquino? Ak- International Airport. Nailed it. It's uh, yeah, <laughs> as I always do. After it skidded off the runway while landing, August seventeenth, twenty eighteen. And uh, did you watch the video? There's a video connected to this. Oh no,
3: I missed the video. Oh
1: yeah, you because okay. you really do need to watch it. So do that. Well,
3: okay. On reading this stuff. Continue talking.
1: Okay. Uh, all the passengers and crew were safe. We they were the uh, landed. Sorry. Oh, um, hmm. You might have to actually click on the, the link to article. the actual article. Okay. And then I think that you'll see it there, I hope. Um, or is it in the second article that we have here? I don't know, but if you don't get a chance to see it stuff, we'll try to figure out what the actual link is to that video because it shows it's a in-cabin video, and uh, the person taking the video is pointing the camera outside the window, and you can see the left engine um, pylon and left engine, and you can see the runway approaching as it's making its transition from approach to landing. And you can kind of see, from what I can tell on the video, very, very close to the left side of the uh, the runway, uh, not in the center of the runway, unless it's a very narrow runway, which I don't believe it is. Um, and uh, apparently, it was raining like all get out, and um, it touched down pretty hard. And uh, because shortly after it touches down, and you can hear some rumbling and people screaming, it stops. <laughs> so the the recording that is the screaming and, stops. Oh. Yeah. The whole thing stops. <laughs> but, uh, again, apparently nobody was seriously injured. Uh, it landed, uh at Manila's airport in a downpour near midnight, then got stuck in a muddy field with one engine and wheel ripped off before it's 157 passengers and eight crew scrambled out through an emergency slide. Only a few passengers sustained bruises at all. But, uh, they were all taken uh, into the airport terminal, were given blankets and food before being taken to a hotel and paid a large sum of money for them not to talk about this ever again. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I added that part. Um, let's see. Uh, the 737 was from China's coastal city of Xiamen, appeared to have bounced in a hard landing, that veered off the runway shortly thereafter and rolled toward a rain-soaked grassy area with its lights off. Now, that, not understanding that one. Uh, we think that when it landed, the plane swerved to the left and veered off the runway, said Monreal, who expressed relief that a disaster had been avoided. And so I guess they're going to see what's on the plane's flight recorder and voice recorder and try to get down to the bottom. Now, honestly, I haven't checked on the uh, any updates to this in the last few days, so I'm not sure if they have determined anything at all. But it uh, looks like um, it closed down the runway there at Manila for quite a number of days and uh, or at least well i'm not sure till 5 a.m saturday when did this happen no i guess it wasn't too long they finally managed to uh, get the thing pulled out of the muck and out of the way so they could reuse that or use that runway again oh okay so that's all i have to say about that i guess but i thought that was uh, another interesting runway excursion
0: any luck on the industry has taken A lot of interest in these because it is one of the most common um, problems that lead to uh, accidents and this has got to be termed an accident surely Mm -hmm. Um, rather than an incident Um, and uh, we're all very conscious now of landing distances and uh, we practice go-arounds from on the runway when we decide to bolt when things aren't looking good we practice very low go arounds because everything is now uh, um centered around getting the approach stable and organized so that when you do land uh, and you've done really careful calculations in land distance this sort of thing shouldn't happen now of course if he re- if he met a really unexpectedly um difficult a wind gust or a down um, burst or something then uh, of course this sort of thing you, you know, the weather really takes control of your airplane, shakes it around there's not a lot you can do about it um, but hopefully you've had the common sense not to even attempt an approach if it looks that bad But, uh, of course, not all these airfields uh, have sophisticated equipment around them that might indicate uh, wind shears. Uh, They may not have particularly good weather radar around there. So, you know, it it all depends on the situation the captain saw at the time. But uh, uh, we are trying so hard to get rid of these kind of incidents, but yet they still keep occurring.
3: So just recalling my most recent uh, passenger experience into Chicago this past weekend – um, arrived on Wednesday night, which I think was the fifteenth. Really, you're going to start your car right now as I'm talking.
0: Suddenly, <laughs> <laughs> like someone coming through the I door. Know, right?
3: No. Um. So anyway, That's a uh, very loud car. <laughs> yeah, it's right outside my window. It's a diesel oh, okay. engine uh, pickup ah. truck. Yes. Hold on. You'll edit this out, right? Because it'll be less noisy in three, two, one. okay. So anyway, we're. Um, as a passenger flying, uh, it was a Nick will love. It was a seven thirty uh, seven, seven hundred series aircraft.
0: <laughs> brave girl, flying brave into girl.
3: Chicago's Midway Airport, and they had some. Um, actually, I think um, uh, O'Hare at the time was on a ground delay because of large thunderstorms in the area, and um, we were landing on two two left. So we made a nice approach over Lake Michigan, and then there's a left turn as we were coming in from the the east, and lined up with the runway, and it's you know beautiful blue skies where we are and about a quarter mile final it just starts pouring like pouring rain clearly one of those thunderstorms cells was i don't know that that one is a thunderstorm but you know a decent rain shower um but happened you know quite close to the ground um short final there in my mind i was just thinking gosh that's just me flying as a private pilot in a small aircraft obviously that's not something i'm attempting but just to transition from that environment of Hey, everything looks great to all of a sudden, you know, reduced visibility, usually train for that to happen kind of the other way around. Things get better as you get closer to the ground instead of, unless you're flying into fog or something like that, low to the ground. Um, but it was a, you know, it was a fun landing. Um, runway two to left has an available landing distance of 6,445 feet, which is just under 2,000 meters. Um, I was sitting pretty close to the main gear on the left side, down the, the back of the cabin, and I watched as the thousand foot mark went by and we weren't on the ground. So there was some uh, quite heavy braking, but cheers to those guys for doing a good job and getting us safely stopped at the end of the runway.
0: Yeah, you, you do worry a little bit sometimes. There was don't a you? lot do, of there was sure. a lot
3: of water on that runway because I turned around and watched the plane behind us land after we had vacated the runway. And you know, there's always a lot of spray when you're using reversers and things like that, but you could watch the water coming off of the nose gear, off of the nose tire, just how much water they were oh, wow. going through. Um, yeah. It was, yeah, it was quite a lot of water on the field. So,
0: And the difference between wet and contaminated, you don't need a great deal of standing water. Uh, no. And not a lot of people would ever consider doing contaminated runway calculations, breaking distance calculations. Um, yeah, that's, it is a problem sometimes. <laughs> Ne-
1: Neville Bounds says, this sounds like Pip's landing at Seething last Saturday. Had to pay
3: two <laughs> landing fees. <laughs> oh, my. Ah, he's excellent. not even here to defend himself. I know,
1: that's really,
0: really sad. Yeah, he's no. just <laughs> getting some extra practice. Right. In. Right. <laughs> I hope you them both. Yeah. So, well, I mean,
3: absolutely. Get credit. credit yeah, speak. he should.
0: Um,
1: this says, the second article in this uh, says, initial feedback from Manila Tower and then they have some Filipino <laughs> language <laughs> mixed into this paragraph. So I'm not going to even attempt to read that. Tagalog. Anyway, it says that Manila, Manila Tower tried to uh, – oh, no, the plane approached uh, – tried to approach for landing once and did not push through and then returned. So it sounds like this is their second attempt on an approach and landing. And the first one, uh, they said, no, we're not doing this. Just not, not good. And then maybe there was some pressure because of the fuel state and – where they were going to have to go to, uh, if they had to divert, and they decided, well, we're going to give this one a go. We're going to concentrate more this time, and it didn't turn out very well. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah the light like that helped.
1: <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah. anyway, I think that's an interesting fact uh, in this situation. Okay, let's move on to this one. Um, this was actually a tweet, and I think I, I must have seen this on Twitter from somebody in our community. Uh, But uh, Chris Van Cleve is the the tweeter, um, and he says at CBS News has obtained what appears to show a near collision between a helicopter and a drone, a quadcopter, actually, off of Hollywood, Florida, which is near Fort Lauderdale. Uh, The chopper passes just below the drone, according to the I'm quoting from the tweet tweet. The FAA is investigating, and then with this, there's also some video footage. Now, for the crew here, I think that's, I just have a still here, not a. I've
3: actual. watched this, so okay. I did see this.
1: Yeah, it's pretty, um, pretty interesting. You don't really see anything until like the very last minute, and then mm-hmm. you see this helicopter come into view, and then goes by right below the camera mounted on this uh, what we'll call a drone, and uh, it was close, but I don't believe there was any collision there, but almost.
3: No, no collision, but it's, you know, it's a good reminder of how, um, you know, you wonder where the person is that's actually operating this drone. If they were on the beach there, because this is right on the beach in Hollywood, Mm -hmm. Florida. Um, Did they see that helicopter approaching from far off? Because certainly the helicopter is not going to see that drone in the air until right at the last second, if at all.
1: And there's a lot of, uh, you know, aircraft traffic um, low uh, or up and down the beach. That's just not a good place to be flying your quadcopter. No. No,
0: no. Uh, he came quite close, by the look of it. You know, for just visually looking at it, and of course, there's always a bit of distortion. It's wide-angle lens, but twenty or thirty feet above him, uh, that's where the drone was positioned. So uh, I was going, "Whoo, mm-hmm. yeah, not not good." And because uh, we've. Uh, we know that there's some trials been done as to the danger of uh, drones hitting aircraft and one of the worst uh, situations was a light aircraft or helicopter hitting a drone because of course their canopies, particularly helicopters are not stressed to withstand uh, you know, a high impact and it's quite likely that a drone could penetrate inside uh, and you know hit the pilot. Um, certainly lodged somewhere, and they we know they've got lithium-ion batteries, and we know what happens when they get damaged. So, uh, you know, they present a real danger uh, to uh, GA aircraft and helicopters.
1: Yes, that is for sure. All right, moving on. Uh, this one occurred um, in Australia um, near Canberra. Is that the way you... Per- Canberra. On August 15th, 2018... A loss of cabin pressure and the first officer incapacitated. It was an express freighter's Boeing 737 300 near Canberra, and uh, they were flying on behalf, uh, there was a freight flight on behalf of Qantas, and they were uh, performing flight uh, 7335 from Brisbane to Melbourne. They were en route at Flight Level 260, about 110 miles northwest of Canberra, when the crew received wing body overheat warning, which resulted in a reduction of cabin pressure. The crew donned their oxygen masks and descended the aircraft to flight level two zero zero. First officer became incapacitated, however. The captain decided the or descended the aircraft to eight thousand feet, advised they were diverting to Canberra Requested emergency services on standby, an ambulance to meet the aircraft on arrival, and stairs for medics to enter the aircraft. On final approach, already in contact with Tower, the captain advised the first officer was still unconscious. The aircraft landed on runway 35 without further incident. The first officer was taken to a hospital. Now, um, this is from the Aviation Herald, and one of the commenters um, uh, that I have highlighted here in what we're looking at, uh, the APG crew. Uh, he writes um, that is completely incorrect. Um, he, the captain stated to the uh, medics that the first officer is coherent and think he is all good and he's still conscious and everything like that. <laughs> so, um, and apparently there was an ATC, ATC recording of this, and this person commenting said. The ATC recording is very clear. So, um,
3: yeah, I think it would be, I mean, if it's unconsciousness just due to loss of cabin pressure at high altitude, unless there's something else unusual going on with that uh, first officer's physiologic state, normal physiologic state, he should regain consciousness.
1: So I would imagine then perhaps there is something going on. I mean, if that happened to any of us and we passed out, I think we'd say, hmm, probably shouldn't pass out.
3: Well, I, so what, they were at flight level
1: twenty six, and
3: uh, you could pass out seven, at that level if you are without but oxygen for long. Yeah, enough, I wonder but how you long. Should,
0: yeah,
3: I mean, depending on how long, I have to go back and look at those um, time of useful consciousness at different Two altitudes. Two and a half minutes, twenty
0: five thousand.
3: So that's a long time to go without putting an oxygen mask on, but uh, yeah. I mean, but I'm not
1: even sure that they, you know, they said that. Uh, I guess they must have run some kind of a procedure with this um, body wing body overheat message, and I'm I don't know anything about this. I've never I don't know exactly what this is, but I suspect it has something to do with the ducting, the high pressure pneumatic ducting, and there are sensors that sense temperatures, and if it's getting to be a high temperature, there's probably some kind of a rupture in the pneumatic, which of course would lead to a loss of cabin pressure. I don't know if it was a complete loss or just a partial loss and uh yeah regardless they descended they did the right thing just in case there was a complete uh reduction of of cabin pressure. Uh so you know th- there's still some details in this I think are missing for us so I'm not sure but
3: uh yeah there yeah. I mean I think there's something else going on that we're not aware of here. I don't think mm-hmm. it was just due to you know, a a brief loss of consciousness due to.
0: Well, let's bear in mind that not many uh, civil pilots get a chance to do any hypoxia training or uh, cabin Mm -hmm. uh, depressurization, decompression training. So the first time they get it for real is the first time they'll get it. And it is quite a dramatic event. Um, So they won't be used to the physiological effects. um, And there's lots of things that might have occurred. He might have had low blood oxy anyway through another medical problem Correct. and the reduction in the uh, oxygen pressure uh, was sufficient to render him unconscious for a short while he might have hyperventilated himself uh, unconscious because he was overly anxious or stressed, uh, there's lots of yeah. things that I mean, might have occurred yeah so you know i get the feeling that uh, uh, he might have worked himself into a bit of a, a lather or perhaps he just uh, suffered badly but the fact is that the reason one of the reasons we get reasonably intensive medicals is to ensure that we are fit enough to be able to cope with these sort of events without flaking out because good heavens if both of you flaked out then you know the airplane uncontrolled at that altitude everyone on board is eventually going to die uh, that is you know serious so and people yeah, can have
3: different yeah. um symptoms with regards to hypoxia um you know which they should resolve once you resolve the hypoxia, but, uh, you know, if he was feeling perhaps nauseated or queasy because of it, that's something that I think could last or stick around a little bit longer, um, make him feel potentially mm-hmm. unwell. So, I mean, there's just all kind. Of, I mean, that's just one example of many things that he could have been experiencing.
1: Nauseated. You used the right word. I did? Yes. Okay. You did. Why? Because a lot of people would say he would have gotten nauseous and that's when you're making somebody else sick.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe, Um, yeah, no, I'm just kidding.
1: (laughs) Oh, no, I'm not quite as impressed because you didn't realize you used
3: the right word. (laughs) (laughs) I just wasn't sure which word you were referring to. Oh, okay. Of course I knew the
1: correct usage. Oh, of course. Of course. You're a highly educated doctor. My English Um, skills is perfect. Is, they is. (laughs) 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 Um, So uh, what was I going to say? Oh. Nick, you said most civilian, and that's true. Most civilian pilots don't uh, get the opportunity that uh, all of us military pilots do, and get to you know get into a uh, an, what we call an oxygen chamber or a hyperbaric, hyperbaric. Well, uh, hyper. Yeah.
3: yeah. Hypo something. Hypobaric.
1: Something baric. whatever one of those things you get inside and they uh simulate uh, high altitude and loss of uh cabin pressure um rapid decompression and that kind of thing but they are uh if you i'm going to plug another podcast uh flying and life by our good friend dispatcher mike uh when he was at oshkosh this past uh, july um he visited um i think it was
3: the faa runs it yeah the
1: faa ran some kind of a thing where you can go in and simulate. And I think that they do is they add a higher level of nitrogen, which I guess results in a lower level of oxygen in whatever. I'm not sure
3: how their hypoxia chamber works, but that sounds, I think he talked about it. It
0: doesn't sound like it's so much of a chamber is just a mask on and and, and depriving yourself of oxygen.
1: (laughs) Right. And they do have actually really low cost um, simulators that just uh, consist of essentially a mask and they restrict your breathing and uh so there are other ways to simulate uh hypoxia uh, and but it's good because you know it may not be as fancy as what Nick and I got a chance to uh experience uh but at least it gives you that um, the demonstration of how your cognitive abilities really decline pretty rapidly and how you know, some of us uh, see blue fingernails or our lips are turning blue with cyanosis. Yep. And other um,
3: other symptoms, too. You know, it's a good chance for you to recognize what symptoms you're most likely to experience first, because for you, for the individual, it's likely more likely than not to be the same things each time you experience it. But it'll be different between different people. So you can't rely on someone else's symptoms to know what you're going to feel or experience. But if you already know how you react to it, then that's that's a big heads up, and you're more likely to recognize it.
0: Right. Yeah, that's very true. And you, you but you've got to do it a few times because you need to be able to get it out of your um, short-term memory into your long-term memory, which is a chemical memory, because your short-term memory is wiped out by hypoxia. Which is why when you come around, you takes you a moment to work out that you're actually in an aeroplane. Oh yeah, remember now I'm in an aeroplane, this is what's going on can take 20 or 30 seconds Uh, and if you don't have um, those symptoms embedded in your chemical memory, your brain can't recall them because your short term memory is disappearing you've got to have done it a few times and then you learn to recognise it. So doing it just once is is a great idea but if uh, you're a regular visitor to Oshkosh and you are concerned about this sort of thing, then go and do it you know once every year for a few years and then there's a good chance that you'll never forget it when you actually have a real hypoxic or hypoxia moment that explains
1: the way i'm behaving today i must be experiencing hypoxia hypoxia. (laughs) could be for all i know i may have been passed (laughs) out for several hours i just don't remember it yeah
0: you do look a bit passed out
1: thank you all right Continuing on with uh, this one, uh, an RAAF warplane's engine destroyed itself, causing. Why would it do that? Causing 120 million dollars fire. Uh, Nick, since you flew um, a version of this airplane, right? Uh, this is a uh, Growler. Yeah,
0: I, I, yeah, I, this is a Growler. So this is the Super Hornet. But mm-hmm. I, I flew the what is now. T- Quaintly turned the classic. Audit. Oh, you know
1: what? I saw something on Twitter uh, last week, and uh, yeah. they they were showing an F A eighteen, and they said it was a uh, it was a World War two airplane.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I said, yeah, great. I
1: said a tweet to uh, Nick, and I said, and and you thought my airplane was old. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
3: Right. Anyone else, upon so reading the, this, um, just real quick, the, the headline here, I think, this engine will self-destruct in three, two, five. Well, anyway. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> Sorry, go Get ahead. That's smart,
1: man. right? No, no, it was uh, Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible, mind. yeah. Yeah. All right, so Nick, okay. why don't you go ahead and take so, this one?
0: Yeah, so the Royal Australian Air Force pride itself on having some pretty decent uh, aircraft, and they have had the... Uh, The F-A-18, since it replaced the Mirage back in the uh, late 80s, about uh, 87. So now they have um, purchased uh, the Gorilla, um, and it's the Super Hornet. So they were flying this out of Nellis, and I'm just trying to look for appropriate Place to join this. So, two Australian Air Force pilots are being praised for their expert response to a dramatic engine malfunction that saw their advanced electronic warfare plane skid across a US runway before catching fire. Uh, The newly delivered uh, EA 18G Growlers. Uh, which it's a beer dispenser, isn't it? Yes, a growler is is? a container for beer. An extremely expensive flying beer dispenser. Uh, which is very apt for the Australian Air Force. And this was taking part... <laughs> yes. <laughs> in fact, Steph, you bought me one. I did. I uh, was taking part in military exercises and was about to take off from Nellis Air Force Base outside Las Vegas when the emergency occurred. Six months on from the fiery mishap, the Defence Department has confirmed the damaged Growler has been, quote, withdrawn from service. And the Department has begun to examine how it can sue the arse off the idiot American Boeing company that built Oh, I'm sorry. How it can recover the cost of the aircraft are believed to be worth $120 million. The investigation into the uh, Growler aircraft incident has been completed and was provided to the Chief of the Air Force on uh, July 30th. And now, senior military figures uh, with knowledge of the investigation have detailed the circumstances of what is being described as the most serious incident of its kind for the Australian Air Force in more than 25 years. Um, so the since, article since goes Captain on Nick to Captain Nick was there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly right. That's Think about it. Time. it. It is about. It. It is do, about it. It is, do the time. Just, just do the yep. math. Yeah. Do the yeah. math. <laughs> shh. 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 So um, one officer who spoke to the ABC on the condition of anonymity revealed the aircraft engine destroyed itself, committed suicide, Um, engine side whilst in full power during the attempted takeoff. The uh, two pilots did an incredible job to stay with the aircraft and keep control to avoid hitting other aircraft parked nearby, the officer told the ABC. Had the incident been a couple of seconds later, they would have been committed to the takeoff and likely would have had to eject after clearing the runway. The investigations confirmed that a high-pressure Sorry, yeah, that was right the first time. A high-pressure compressor in the Growler's engine had broken into three major pieces. Wow. With one segment piercing through the bottom of the jet and taking chunks out of the runway, so an uncontained engine failure. Not good. Another piece went sideways through the second engine, causing severe damage, whilst the third piece went up and destroyed the right-hand tail fin before flying away and landing some distance from the jet. Um, as it, the jet came to a halt, the rear fuselage was engulfed in fire, the main undercarriage collapsed, and two of the three e electronic jammer pods it was carrying were severely damaged. So I think the Aussies are saying, this is a brand new jet, it blew up, we want our money back, and I wouldn't blame them.
1: <laughs>
0: Give us a new one. Yeah, I think that's what they're basically saying. So they're looking for compensation from uh, the airframe manufacturer, Boeing, and the engine maker, General Electric. Let's just make sure everyone knows the Boeing. Well, thank you for putting all General that emphasis Electric. on those names. Nick. No problem. That's, that's my job. Yeah.
1: Okay. Steph, uh, note to self or note to me, uh, don't let him read any of these things again. Yes,
5: yes. <laughs> no, okay. Or
3: just when you, you know, if you give him an article to read, just you know, strike out any reference to manufacturers. So he is unaware of which. uh, Yeah.
1: Yeah. We'll just make it as generic as possible.
3: Yeah.
1: Laser beam attacks, bedevil us military pilots in the Mideast. This has Steph written all over it, doesn't it? It does. Yeah.
3: All right. So this is from the wall street journal, I believe. Um, Hostile forces in the middle East are targeting American pilots with laser pointers at a growing rate. Imperiling air crews and reflecting a problem more widespread and longstanding than the Pentagon has previously acknowledged, American pilots operating in Syria, Iraq, and Afghanistan—the three most prominent conflict zones for American troops—experienced most of the more than 350 lazing incidents. That's one of I love that word lazing incidents reported over the last seven months by air crews operating across the Middle East. U.S. officials or officials at U.S. Air Force's Central Command in Qatar said. So that's a significant increase from the approximately 400 lasing incidents reported for the region during all of 2017. Uh, let's see. I'll skip down here to where you have highlighted the important stuff. Uh, hostile forces typically point small handheld lasers at pilots in flight, especially during landings when they are most visible from the ground, in an attempt to distract them, officials said. Such uh, incidents could result in an accident, although officials said there haven't been any mishaps as a result of the lazing. It is unknown how coordinated or organized the attacks are. Officials declined to discuss specific details about the perpetrators. The attacks against military crews have resulted in minor injuries, including short-term vision impairment and headaches, military officials said. They were not aware of any permanent injuries resulting from the attacks, most of which occurred near major population centers or military air bases in Iraq, Syria, and Afghanistan. It goes on. Lots of information we've – oh, there is more about – let's see. I'll go through a little bit more of this here if you'd like. Yeah. I think we – yeah. So, um, lasing attacks have long been a nuisance for commercial pilots, as we've talked about numerous times in the past. Uh, The FAA reports that thousands of lasing lasing incidents each year occur, which can range from individuals using small cat lasers, or in some cases, more powerful military (laughs)
0: lasers. Where does the laser come out of a cat? (laughs)
3: your cat did you ever see laser cats on saturday night live oh <laughs> no. my gosh that's a classic uh,
0: can't you go
1: to the pet supply store and uh, go to the cat section and then the find the little lasers
0: in there i mean yes. I, cats love playing with those things
3: and i have had several dogs that enjoy playing with them as well
0: um <laughs> oh, one of, one of mine is absolutely paranoid we can't get it. yeah we can't bring one out ever again because and it just if goes you have mental. never
3: watched the saturday night live digital shorts from a few years back about called laser cats watch them. They're, they're really silly, (laughs) but the more they keep putting them out and they just get funnier and funnier. Anyway, uh, where was I? Yes. The FAA reported more than 2,800 lazing incidents for the first six months of 2018. seems like quite a lot. Wow. Uh, About on par with the 2,700 reported between January and June of last year. Since 2004, there have been at least 55,000 incidents reported by civilian pilots, including in the U S UK, Australia, Italy, and Canada. Oh, said Patrick Murphy, a laser expert and editor of com. Now you know, an educational site that tracks the misuse of consumer-type lasers. Of those, he said, there are no documented or proven cases of permanent um, eye injury. So the biggest worry is distraction and the most damaging laser pointers are green because the eye sees the color green as the brightest. All
0: right. You know, it, it's one thing shining a laser at a civil aircraft, where the worst is that's going to happen is a policeman's going to come knocking on your door. But out there, shining them at, at military aircraft, you're likely to get a bit more. Yeah, you might a get a fight back huh? reception. Yeah, exactly. So I think these guys are being a bit brave, um, and I. I, you know, I feel a bit sorry for the military guys because they, you know, they're being distracted at a critical time of their landing. But, uh, you know, you'd think the military would have enough uh, wherewithal to, go and find these uh, perpetrators. The yeah. perps.
1: I guess the the thing to to draw from this whole thing is that they're irritating and distracting, but apparently, uh, f- for most of the lasers out there, unless we're talking about military grade lasers, they don't really do permanent damage to. Uh, the I eyes mean, I think you'd pilots. probably have
3: to stare at it quite a bit longer than yeah. most people are able. To. I mean, it's it's very irritating, um, obviously, and your initial response is going to be to close your eyes or look away. So I, that's a safety mechanism kind of built in.
1: Yeah, our good friend and APG community member and sometimes APG host, uh, Jeff uh, Colonel Jeff, you know the good-looking Captain Jeff, uh, has mm-hmm. experienced a lazing. Now, when did it, I guess? You know, I'm thinking, like, what is that really a word? Or I guess it's become this, uh, a word this, now.
3: This lazing, um,
1: kind of like tasering, uh, they call it tasing.
3: Journalist Gordon Lubold appears yeah. to like the word quite a bit because I think he used it in almost every sentence in this article.
1: Yeah, I bet there was some kind of a beer bed or something.
3: Yeah, how many times can you put lazing into one article?
1: <laughs> yes, I did it. Way to go. Good 437. job, 437.
3: <laughs>
0: okay, now. Well, I've looked it up. Yep. And it says laze, verb, of substance, especially a gas or crystal, under the physical process employed in a laser. So you can laze, so I guess you can... Perform lasing. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. I guess
1: that's. I'd be curious to know, know, like, the etymology of the word, um, you know, as far as when did it become a really recognized verb? Oh, recent. um, Very
0: recent. 1960s, back formation from laser interpreted as an agent noun. Mm -hmm. Oh, 1960 something you said? 1960s. Oh, really? The decade. It doesn't give an actual date. Okay, well
1: then, we shouldn't complain about that word. Pilots on United Airlines Flight 3531, operated by Republic Airlines, call sign Brickyard, declared an emergency Monday night en route to MSP because a passenger... Well, let's let you listen to the audio.
6: Clear to land, 30 left, Brickyard 3531. And tower, Brickyard 3531,
4: do you want us engine shut down as soon as we hit the ice pad? Breakout 3531 for now. Affirmative, uh, plan to turn off at Mike or Alpha 8, your discretion, and park in the 12 right D ice pad. We haven't had any word yet on whether you need to shut down the engine. Roger. Breakout 3531. Breakout 3531, affirmative. Turn right at Alpha 8. Park in any spot. They're going to bring air stairs to you. You can shut them down. And the, uh, everyone's been notified they're on their way. can copy all instructions. Breakout 3531 it's pad. It looks spot 3 facing uh, we're 3531. It's not a problem. We're not gonna depart 30 left to any spot. You want to park to shut it down. They will bring air stairs out to you. We're just waiting on uh, someone to show up.
6: Roger. And we're facing the terminal breakout 3531.
4: Right 3531. Everyone's been called. We should have people to you shortly. Do you require any other assistance at this time that uh, we might have missed?
6: Not right now. Everything's quiet. Oh, we're just trying not to. Uh... Raise suspicion just in case this is a, a serious issue. So we're just sitting here. We're going to tell them that we're waiting on our gate at Doctrine.
4: 3531,
6: ready. And Tower Breaker 3531.
4: Freakhead 3531,
6: tower. Okay, so we just got a confirmation from uh, United Ops fire our dispatch on the gate cars. They are confirming that both of those gentlemen are air marshals. Uh, the reason we declared an emergency for suspicious reasons is because the air marshal actually showed our flight attendant his gun, which uh, my first officer is a FFDO. He's not armed at this time, but he was saying that is completely against SOP uh, for them to show their firearm. So that's the reason we declared an emergency, but they did say that apparently both of these guys are federal air marshals.
4: Precarat 3531, Roger, they are bringing the stairs out to you now. Do you want to continue to a gate, or would you uh, like to deplane them from there? Uh, You know
6: what, we can start number one and taxi to the gate since they did confirm they're fire marshals. Just have them uh, work
4: behind us if that's cool with you guys. Precarat 3531, not a problem. Uh, You can fire one up. Let me know when you're ready to move. All right, we'll fire one up. Precarat 3531, where will you be parking?
6: I think they're taking us to Echo 5, but we're checking. Thank you. And just in case, uh, I mean, the United is confirming it, but uh, if you could just still have uh, police feed us so we can figure out what the hell went wrong with this. Breakout
4: 35 yeah, not a problem. We'll have them follow you. I'm not sure which ones are on the frequency. But uh, we're saying we're going to – actually, we we're being told we're just going to leave you there for now until we get confirmation from our end. But then uh, I'll, I'll move you as soon as you got one started, and, and I can let you go that way.
6: Yeah, I got one started, so I can move any moment, but uh, you let us know when you want us to head over there.
4: Okay, thank you. Just hold there for now and will let you know as soon as I can move you.
6: Yeah, once again, sorry about this all, guys. It's just, uh was very suspicious tonight that uh, he would show our flight attendant
4: his gun. Not a problem. We're glad to help. at 3531
6: tower. We're
4: out. Call from your dispatch. They'd, uh, they're coordinating with the uh, PD as well. They'd like to clear the aircraft there. Um, so, we'll try to get that worked out and get the, the air stairs up to the plane. I'm not sure if you want to shut it back down and, and uh, do that first, and they'll move you after they clear the airplane. Roger,
6: we'll uh, shut it down here. Both engines are off, APU is running. Yeah, so uh, the story gets better here. So, apparently, the air marshal is pretty upset that the flight attendant called us after showing him her, or excuse me, showing her his gun and that he's now telling her he should have never called the flight deck. Um, it sounds like he's kind of agitated with her, so just be aware of that. 335
4: 3531, Roger, we'll pass that along.
6: Yeah, this is a whole uh, mess here. From what I understand, I don't know why he didn't show her her badge, his badge. Um, the story goes down that uh, he walked up to her, said he needed to see the manifest, demanded it. He was trying to find a passenger and showed her, showed her his gun. And uh, she just found that super suspicious, especially since we didn't even know we had Sam's on
4: board. Roger. Ops four three Roger and yeah. brickyard thirty five thirty one, the air stairs and the PD are moving now. If you want to inform the flight attendants to disarm the doors. Roger. And
6: tower for brickyard thirty five thirty one.
4: Okay, thirty five thirty one, tower.
6: Just till we make sure everything is good to go, I'm going to leave the flight deck door uh, closed. So as soon as Ops and uh, the police department says it's okay, um, I'll leave the flight deck door locked. BrickHard
4: 3531, thanks. We'll pass that along. I believe Ops is listening, but uh, will they give you the signal from the, the uh, cabin for you to do that, or you want me to let you know?
6: Just uh, if Bob can pass that, or uh, I'm sure they'll knock here in a minute. I'll open my window so I can talk to them if I need to. But uh, if they give you a heads up, that'd be good, too.
1: Okay. Uh had a little break here. Uh, by the way, this is as normal, uh, highly edited, uh, took a lot of stuff out that I didn't think was really pertinent to uh, this story. I have a little bit more here at the end. We'll, we'll, end uh, we'll continue playing that here in a moment. But I have the pause here to let you know that Apparently, they did bring the air stairs uh, up to the airplane. They opened the door and took the two passengers that uh, claimed that they were, and I guess confirmed by United Airlines, that they were federal air marshals, uh, off the airplane in handcuffs, according to some of these articles. So uh, if you don't mind, let me play the rest of it, and then we can discuss this.
6: And tower, 3531. We have an engine
4: started ready to head to the gate. Rick 3531, Echo 5, taxi via Alpha, cross runway 22, send Delta to the alley. All right, uh, Alpha,
6: cross Two Delta to Echo 5, Bridge Air 3531, and we really appreciate all of your guys' help tonight.
4: Thank you. Not a problem. Nice job tonight. Rick Air 3531, just confirm the gate, Echo 5. Correct, sir. Echo 5, brickyard
6: 3531. It's uh, inside this alley here on the left hand side, if I remember correctly. Thank you. You remember correctly? Been here six times in the last two months.
4: None more memorable than this?
6: Yeah, the last time I came out of medical emergency, so I think I just stopped dating company I
1: <laughs> Okay, I thought that was a it's little humorous airport, exchange at the end. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, this is the, uh, what did he say? Six times in the last two months, and two of these were um, emergencies. Yeah. Emergencies. (laughs) Unusual situations. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, when I was first listening to this, I have to admit, I'm thinking, I think they're like really totally overreacting. Of course, that was before I knew some of the details as were revealed later in this audio tape, or not audio tape, audio recording. And uh, so, when I listened to it a, a little bit more, and I started learning more of the details here, this this guy. First of all, the um, the flight crew, uh, the captain, uh, must be informed by the gate agent that. And and I have to be careful about what I say here because I'm sure that some of this is not really for public might, consumption. Oh, yeah. So. Uh, I but I'll try to be as generic specific. and as basic as I can here. But uh, needless to say, uh, the captain is supposed to be informed that there are uh, people, federal air marshals uh, aboard your air, aircraft. And, and and apparently in this case, uh, and I'm not sure if it's the federal air marshals fault at this point or not, but somebody dropped the ball and didn't um, advise the captain that – you have two federal air marshals, you know, with loaded weapons on board. Uh, so that's a that's a problem, big problem, right there. Number two, the, uh, the if it's true what the flight attendant said, that this guy on his own asks for the manifest and then basically flashes his his weapon. That's what she said. Um, yeah, uh, and without showing her his federal air marshal badge. That's a big error, and uh, as the captain here mentioned, his first officer is a federal flight deck officer, and and so he knows what the standard operating procedure is for federal air marshals because they go through that same training. Um, he's saying, you know, you would you would never do that, and he he had no idea why you know he would would do that. So everything is kind of suspicious. I kind of understand now locking down the cockpit and treating this as a a more urgent situation. And, uh, and then of course, you know, we know the outcome here. I have not seen, I tried to find some statements from the TSA or the, uh, I'm not sure, I think, I'm not sure if they fall within the TSA or the uh, the uh, what is it called? The um, Homeland Security Department, mm-hmm. or what the actual controlling agency is for the Federal Air Marshal Program. But I was kind of looking for some kind of an official statement a- acknowledging that this had happened, and you know, explaining you know what they're going to do about it or whatever. Uh, but I didn't see anything as of yet, at least earlier today. So, uh, what do you all think of this? Do you think that the, first of all, that it was appropriate for this air marshal to do if if what we hear from this audio tape is true, um, that he, he behaved properly. And do you think that the actions of the pilots, um, and well, and, and flight attendant were appropriate?
3: So, it, it, you know, you have to take this somewhat at face value based on what was said on the, um, ATC recording here. But if that was the actual event as it happened between the air marshal and the flight attendant, put yourself in that flight attendants, um, shoes for a moment. You have no idea who this person is on your plane who has a weapon and demanding to see a list of passengers. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm surprised she didn't react a little bit more um, to that, to be honest.
1: Yeah. And you know, that, that point that, that he makes or the, the statement that he makes that um, apparently this air marshal is uh, perturbed um, and irritated by the flight attendant bringing this to the attention of the pilots kind of indicates to me uh that he understands that what he did was probably wrong and he now is understanding that he's probably going to get in quite a bit of trouble uh, if not fired completely i don't know Uh, i'll be interesting to see interested to see what happens in this case
0: yeah i'm i'm pretty sure the guy uh, went outside uh, of his procedures Uh, why on earth he would want to see the manifest why on earth he would uh, pull out his weapon instead of showing his badge i have no idea doesn't make any sense to me unless the guy was trying to impress somebody uh and that was a pretty stupid way to do it um yeah so it sounds to me like uh you know the crew behaved in a uh, understandable and sensible manner um and I would probably have expected my crew to do exactly the same unless I was absolutely certain that uh, that something had happened. The procedures had obviously broken down because you're quite right, Jeff, in what you say. Uh, The captain and uh, possibly some others on the aircraft uh, must be informed when there are armed people on the aircraft. Um, So, you know, something went badly wrong there. Um, the only other thing I didn't quite understand was um, when they – when they in the UK, I'm pretty sure they would have been put to an isolated area and they would not have left that area. In fact, the aircraft would have been blocked in by vehicles until everything was sorted and only when those guys were off the aircraft. Uh, and uh, in fact, they may have even taken all the passengers off and searched them because if there was any doubt – that uh you know these were the only people on board with weapons they would probably have uh, um, you know secured everyone on board just in case there was a, a sleeper in, in them if there was a suspected terrorist situation uh, and I don't think in the UK they would have been allowed to start up again and taxi to the gate uh, they would probably have been got everyone off onto a bus you know sorted everything out and then towed that aircraft on at a different time so I suspect I, I don't know what airport this was. I didn't recognize Minneapolis, St. Uh, Paul. Yeah. yeah, I don't know how big an airport it's that is. It's pretty big. <laughs> is it? Yeah. yeah. So I'm a little surprised that they didn't have slightly more rigorous procedures on the ground.
3: So, In the, um, just to clarify what we were talking about earlier in the chat room, Robert has pointed out that the air marshals are TSA agents under the Department of Homeland Security, which okay. I'm looking up on um, just Wikipedia right now. I find their motto interesting, and... Um, in English, it is the equivalent of unseen, unheard, unafraid.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. Well, <laughs> okay. Let's see. Um,
5: <laughs>
0: it's, written in, they... it's
3: written in Latin, so I'm and I'm not. I don't know Latin. <laughs> well, so. Perhaps
0: these guys I, didn't didn't get the Latin training. Yeah, yeah. They, they failed
1: at least two of those three. I yeah, or perhaps yeah. three yeah. of three. Perhaps
3: three of
0: three. Yeah. Well done, Steph. That was Um
1: <laughs> uh, So, as I said, they the. Uh, they did remove these air marshals and handcuff them, uh, at, at, that pad area. But apparently as, as Nick mentioned, um, you know, strangely, they decided to go ahead and leave everybody else on board and taxi back to a gate. So, um, you know, uh, I, I'm kind of surprised by that too, that they didn't take everybody off and search everybody and, you know, treat this as a little bit more serious, but, you know, I, I wasn't there. I'm not sure.
0: All right. right. Very good. TSA does it again.
1: Yes, they do. And, well, perhaps we'll hear that at some other point. And
0: uh, as Mike in the chat room says, unseen, unheard, unemployed.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Good one, Mike. Good one. All right. Well, now it's time for the best part of the show, which, of course, is your great feedback. Captain, incoming message.
0: Jeff, I notice that there are usually at least three best parts of the show. They're all best.
3: <laughs> not every, we've discovered that not everyone listens to the entire show. So at whatever point they come in, they <laughs> okay. think they're getting the best. Perhaps
1: I should use offer. different adjectives um, Very to describe cunning, the. Uh, okay. But, you know. You're the best host we have on the show from the UK.
0: <laughs> from the UK.
1: On this particular show.
0: <laughs> yes. Just this once.
1: Yeah, I know. I need to come up with something better, I guess. Um, the first one, oh, First of all, uh, everybody okay? Do we need to take a break or anything?
3: I'm good for right now.
0: Okay. No, I'm good
1: very good. Let's start off with uh George George Nolly, uh, another podcaster, hosts uh, a wonderful show, another aviation show, um Ready for Takeoff. And he uh, wrote us and said, um hope you're enjoying your time across the pond. Okay. We, we, we he sent this quite some time ago. And that was last month when I was across the pond uh, in uh, at Riyadh and Farmborough, But uh He says, uh, here's another story about what I suspect is aerotoxic syndrome, and this is a Business Insider uh, article regarding a a Spirit Airlines flight that had to divert after a horrible dirty socks odor filled the cabin and made passengers ill. And he said, I I came across a study, which he attached, that goes into more detail. George, so what I propose here, Steph, have you been... Drinking at all or just water or what?
3: Just water.
0: Oh, no. Okay. Let's hope she's been drinking. I'm thinking, he, can you
1: do you have, any, uh, do you have any IPAs? This could be fun fridge. I,
3: no. I <laughs> dang it. I wish I'm, I'd planned I this am better. Out yeah. of yeah. this. Right. Let's look, Perrier.
1: Uh, well, so, so I was thinking maybe if you had a few IPAs and then we could come back I could to read this and visit. you need N phenyl alpha read...
3: naphthalamine and the <laughs> oh, wow. substituted diphenylamine. I took biology and biochemistry.
1: Well, maybe this wouldn't be a problem for you. Sober. I can
3: read all of these words just fine. Ah, Dang (laughs) it.
1: Oh, sober. You can. Yeah. How about uh, after you've had a few?
3: Not so well. Yeah.
1: So I guess what you're, you're probably uh, getting from me here is this, this attached PDF, uh, the Hawking book uh, crew effects uh, from toxic toxic exposures on aircraft. Uh, No, I have not been drinking. Um, is uh, quite a detailed and scientific and has lots of chemistry and chemicals and compounds and stuff included. A very technical article. So we are definitely not going to read this thing on the show. It's very many, many pages. But uh, we'll put a link to this in the show notes. So if you are so inclined, you can read it yourself.
3: If you have a biology or biochemistry test coming up in the near future, this could be good studying material for you. Exactly. Enjoy. I hope and, uh, I'm so glad I never have to take biochemistry ever again or use any of it in my day to day life.
1: Yeah, I I've only taken one chemistry uh, college level chemistry course, and that was my freshman year at Georgia Tech. And that was one of a number of courses I really struggled with and wondered how anybody could possibly understand any of that stuff. General <laughs> that was... chemistry
3: was fine. Regular biology was fine. Biochemistry, not so great.
1: My, this is just regular chemistry for me. It wasn't even biochemistry it was like uh doesn't work with my brain at all hey taco
3: nope that's not or is that
1: oh or those no, there? no okay. that's,
0: that's rusty okay sorry about that um no no problem
1: so the uh article the other article here um that he included was this this uh spirit airlines flight Uh they had to divert from or to well they were originally flying from new york to fort lauderdale they had to divert to myrtle beach south carolina about halfway uh, between the two, after passengers complained of burning throats and chest pains caused by a strange smell. The odor is reported to have resembled dirty socks. Rescue officials in Myrtle Beach who examined the plane were not able to confirm what caused the smell. Now, just as an aside, many times um, in my career as an airline pilot, and maybe even before when I was in the military flying the C-141, I have smelled... Um, that smell, and but they've always told us, and I assumed that they weren't lying to us, that that dirty sock smell had something to do with the air conditioning packs uh, that do all the uh, work to uh, take the bleed air in, and and cool it down to a certain temperature and provides for the the cool and uh, cool air hot air and also provides for the pressurization of the aircraft and that there is an uh, there's a um, device in these air conditioning packs that are like a water separator that uh, obviously you know the the moisture in the air um, is collected and there is some kind of a fabric or some kind of a material in there that uh, can if not changed out, uh, regularly can get that kind of dirty socks smell. But now that I'm looking at all these aerotoxic syndrome episodes or what they're claiming to be aerotoxic syndrome, um, they always include this smell of dirty socks. So I'm wondering to myself, maybe maybe I was exposed to some of these. How have you uh, been
3: feeling today, Jeff?
1: Yeah, well, today I haven't smelled it in a while, actually, Steph, but my short-term memory is not uh, there mm-hmm. for some mm-hmm. reason.
3: I'm sure it has <laughs> completely unconnected. Yeah.
1: My long term, I don't have any memory actually, except oh flying other airplanes in the past. But uh, anyway, that was just an aside. I'm just kind of wondering. No, no, the,
0: it's actually quite important. The, uh, the description were, was originally uh, in my experience coined uh, with the warnings that came from Airbus concerning um, oil leaks in the engine, and they always referred to the smell as "quote dirty socks," hmm. uh, and I'm. I'm feeling that now people smell something strange and they're worried it might be um, these chemicals escaping from the engines and getting the air conditioning are going to become so familiar with the the correct terminology to use that might identify this as um, a toxic material coming from the engine. They're always going to call it dirty socks now. So, you know... (laughs) I would much rather people describe what they're actually smelling because there might be a, a whole myriad of other, of other causes. It could be the exhaust from the aircraft ahead if you're taxiing on the ground. It could be residue left over from de-icing. Uh, there are lots of things that might cause a slight smell uh, that could get into the engines and thereby into the pressurization that might cause a strange smell and if people immediately latch onto oh that's got to be dirty socks so it's got to be aerotoxic and and i'm gonna you know suffer uh, neurological effects uh, then we're never really gonna be able to identify the common smells you get on an aircraft from ones that are potentially very dangerous so i wish people would move away from this term and start just describing the smell they they're getting rather than latching onto a particular phrase
3: also how familiar are most people with the smell of dirty socks are most people smelling their dirty socks if so that's a little worrying <laughs> um just Good putting point. that out there
1: i remember when yeah. i was in you know doing athletics in like high school and stuff uh, oh. i know what the dirty socks smell like
3: oh, and dirty I'm, tennis shoes i'm quite familiar i have to some <laughs> yeah. of the um Electrodiagnostic testing I performed is done on on the feet, or oh. around the feet. Yeah.
0: Oops. And being a marathon runner, of course, you wouldn't be the least bit uh, familiar my with feet dirty my feet don't my feet don't smell. I don't
3: know what you're talking <laughs> about. <laughs>
0: I've heard that phrase uh, used
1: a little bit differently, but yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, right stuff. Uh-huh. Um, well, according to NBC Four New York, aside from these passengers, about seven to ten out of 220 reporting chest and throat discomfort. Some people were vomiting and one woman was found unconscious. <laughs> oh my God. Sounds pretty serious. But again, a total of 220 passenger passengers were on board the flight and about seven to 10 of them were transported to a local hospital for exposure to a possible unknown substance. Only one person was taken. Oh, and then associated press says no, only one person was taken to the hospital. So um, I don't, you know, I, I don't know how much of this is psychosomatic, but, um, I think maybe you could say that there is a possibility of that.
3: You know, uh, I'll tell you the, what the power of suggestion and, you know, vasovagal like responses to to things that are unpleasant. Bless you. Um, you're welcome. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, do happen. Um, so who knows?
1: Because, you know, in, if, if it's something that's in <clears throat> the pressurization system, it, it sh- seems to me that it would be pretty well um, spread out. Through or distributed through the fuselage, right? Well, I mean, then I wonder,
3: it- yeah, but, I, you know, you wonder if were all those people sitting in the same place on oh. the aircraft or nearby each other, you know, if it was one person from way in the front of the cabin, you know, a couple in the midsection and one way down the back, it seems unlikely that there should only be a few people affected unless, again, we've kind of alluded to this earlier, those people were they more sensitive for various physiologic reasons or other chronic condition, medical condition reasons, who
0: knows? Yeah, I think that's, that's a quite likely explanation, uh, Steph, because I don't know how this – I don't even know what that type of aircraft this was. Anyone help me with It was
3: Airbus. an Airbus A319 an or Airbus. A320. Okay.
0: Airbus. Airbus. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, if it's like my Airbus, then uh, the recirculation uh, system goes into a big tank, it's, uh, and then it's mixed with fresh air and then it's recirculated to all parts of the aircraft simultaneously. So is it's unlikely that uh, one part of the aircraft would get it and not another.
1: Right. That's what I thought too.
0: All right. Um, oh, I think there was
3: more. Well, it looks was like they a showed more? an A319 in the picture, but there were 220 passengers on board. That sounds more like a. All right.
0: There's a bit right at the end, Jeff, which, uh, there's a few more details.
1: Yeah, you know, I that. actually meant to uh, include another piece of feedback from George that uh, deals with contaminated air, but not the type of incident that we're talking about here, the aerotoxic syndrome.
0: What, the kind of uh, capnell that contaminated air? Well, mm, maybe. Not that contaminated. But, uh,
1: it, it does involve another, another chemical, but I'm not sure. I don't know what the chemical formula for methane gas is, but uh, this one is actually... <laughs> oh,
3: I used to. Oh, um, man. Yeah. I have to look it up.
1: CO2 CO- levels oh. in cockpit. So carbon dioxide, which I believe is a... a, 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 a it doesn't have any odor and it uh, you can't oh, see CH4. it. CH4. So. That's
3: right. I knew
1: that. CH4. Okay. Yeah. Um, so this article uh, was released on August 8th um, and the from the Harvard uh, University, Harvard.edu uh, news press release. Is and it in our
3: feedback somewhere or is it just something? It's
1: in read? the regular feedback oh, okay. folder. I, I, I thought I could have sworn that yesterday <laughs> I drugged this over and added it to uh, that uh, that piece of feedback that's gotcha. in our show notes folder, but apparently I didn't. That must must have been one of those. Times that I was unconscious. (laughs) I may have dreamed of it. I don't know. Anyway, uh, I'm looking at it. It's in the feedback folder if you want to try to find it. It's uh, toward the uh, newer stuff. But uh, uh, commercial airline pilots were significantly better at performing advanced maneuvers in flight simulators when carbon dioxide levels on the flight deck, uh, the cockpit, they put in parentheses, uh, were 700 parts per million and 1,500 parts per million than they were at 2,500 parts per million. According to new research led by Harvard TH School of Public Health, the study indicates that CO2 levels directly affect pilots' flight performance. And uh, Joseph Allen, assistant professor of exposure assessment science, well, I didn't know that that was a thing, and principal investigator of the study said that flying is safe, no question. The entire flight experience is designed around a culture of safety first. Optimizing air quality on the flight deck must continue to be part of that safety equation. And we're talking to you, Captain L. Previous research led by Alan and colleagues found that in office buildings, CO2 concentrations between 1,000 parts per per million and 2,500 parts per million levels once thought to be benign negatively impact the cognitive function of employees. For the new study, they wanted to determine if higher CO2 levels in the flight deck would impair a pilot's ability to perform advanced maneuvers and manage emergency situations such as single engine failure during takeoff. So anyway, they did the study and you can read about it. We'll put this link in the show notes as well. You can read about the study and uh, they kind of came up with a parts per million uh, point or threshold where... They started noticing in their study in the simulators uh, how the uh, pilots started to uh, not perform as well. And um, so uh, George, when he sent this, he said, one more risk. He said, now it's not just leaks from the engines. It's from exhaling. So, you know, because that's what we exhale. Don't breathe. Yeah, don't breathe. That's the solution, right? Wait a minute. No, that's not a good solution either, Steph. No,
3: I'm rethinking that one. Don't take that as advice.
1: Stick, stick to the spines.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Outside of my area of expertise, what can I say? So, uh,
1: I thought that was interesting. I'm not sure what they would do. I mean, like have um, you know fresh oxygen dispensers? No, that can't be a good idea either. You don't want pure oxygen (laughs) just spewing it out in the cockpit. (laughs) Flammable. Yeah. Uh, One more thing to worry about, huh, Nick?
0: Uh, yeah, but only for another 12 months. Oh, uh, yeah.
1: So you're going, well, I don't you've, care. You've survived it so far. <laughs> you're on your own. Yep. <laughs> the rest yep. Of you. I'm all right, Jack. Okay. Well, anyway, uh, so thank you, George, for uh, sending that in. Uh, George is focusing, can you tell, on uh, bad air quality. He,
0: yeah, he's found a
1: little bandwagon, yeah. and I think he's going to sit on it for a while. I think so. so but we do appreciate uh, all of it. Um, So certainly. And, you know, while we're at it, I'm going to skip to uh, number six, because George is playing a prominent role in episode 337. Uh, George um, writes in. uh, Hi, Jeff. Another great episode and really great plane tales. The story of flying the hump. He's referring to the plane tales regarding flying the hump has been largely ignored by aviation aficionados. The crews certainly didn't get the public display of affection received by the bomber and fighter crews, despite suffering tremendous losses. I had the honor of interviewing a radio operator who flew these missions, and then he gives us a link to that episode, episode number 198 of Ready for Takeoff podcast, Flying the Hump with Leland Stolberg. And he said, regarding flying a trip without a suitcase, okay, that was uh, another topic I guess we discussed on that show. Uh, When I was a new 737 captain, I would leave my fully stocked suitcase at the United Airlines bag room at Stapleton, a room secured by a cipher lock. All I needed to do was go to the bag room, retrieve my flight bag and suitcase, head to the plane after the briefing. It was a great idea, he puts in all caps. Until I went to the bag room on a three-day trip and discovered that someone had stolen my suitcase. Oops. I flew the trip, of course, and discovered how to make underwear last at least four days. Inside, out, outside in, front to back, and commando. Thank you for sharing, George. <laughs> and uh, I'm sure that
3: was just a one-time occurrence.
0: Yeah
1: the audience. I'm sorry, responds. I'm trying to
0: get the image in my mind of George going commando. <laughs> don't, but no, it, no, no. It's not leaving me. No, Nick, um, please don't go there.
5: Uh Family show, ladies and gentlemen. Family show.
0: Thank you, Matt.
1: <laughs> so, now, George, three separate pieces of feedback is enough for one show, huh? Let's, uh...
3: We'll, we'll, you know, share the love a little bit with some other folks.
1: Yeah, let's do that. How about with Keith? Keith is a... New listener. He says, uh, Hi, Captain Jeff and crew. I'm a new APG listener. In fact, this past episode was only the second that I've listened to so far. I know I have a large backlog of episodes to catch up on. But in the meantime, the story about the Soviet ground effect vehicles from episode 333 reminded me of another story about flying in ground effect that I read recently. The story comes from the July 2017 newsletter put out by the Sikorsky Archives about how the first nonstop westbound transatlantic crossing came to be. Uh, operating the world's first nonstop westbound transatlantic crossing on June 22, 1942, the Vat Sikorsky—I just made up a new company name—the Vat—I'm Sik- doing it again—the Vat Sikorsky VS-44A Excalibur flew from. Is that Foynes? Is that the way you pronounce that uh,
0: place in Ireland? I would have I would have said so, but isn't that vort Sikorsky?
1: Vort. Vought, yes, I'm sorry.
0: Vort, Vort, Sikorsky. I don't know. I'm only asking. I'm not saying. Well,
1: uh, our, our American accent, we say Vought, right?
3: Vought. Right? I would say Vought. But,
1: but uh, well, yes, probably mm-hmm. more properly,
3: Vought.
0: <laughs> if, if you were to be there, would you say Bought? Yes, I'd say bot.
3: Bot. We, uh, we <laughs> just mangle the I'll language, don't we? <laughs> just let us continue to destroy yes. it and degrade it. We're having a grand time of it. Yes. And we like Have it fun. very much.
1: Just marvelous. Don't let it bother you. Do carry Please. on. Okay. Uh, this this boat from VS Company, uh, VS44A Excalibur flew from Foynes Island, a flying boat port on the River Shannon to New York in 25 hours 40 minutes with 16 passengers aboard 16
0: aboard. whole passengers yeah
1: <laughs> the crew included pilot Charles Blair co-pilot Bob Hickson flight engineer Mike Doyle navigator Harry Lamont and radio man Mike McFarlane so
3: the that's story. the
0: crew nearly five crews, 16 passengers <laughs>
3: Okay.
1: well they're not a, not a lot of passengers apparently <laughs> this record setting flight was not a planned event American Export Airlines inaugurated passenger service between New York and Foynes Ireland On June 20th, 1942, with an uneventful eastbound crossing, which included a refueling stop at Botwood, Newfoundland, Canada, on the or Newfoundland, I think Canada, on the return flight to the LaGuardia Marine Terminal, the crew faced strong headwinds and fog that had socked in Newfoundland. The refueling point. Assessing their grim fuel outlook, co-pilot Bob Hickson remarked at one point, "Glad this is a boat." To stretch mileage, Captain Blair brought the VS-44A down to skim just above the waves. Flying in ground effect reduced fuel consumption, but increased the danger of marine collisions. (laughs) Look out for that boat. Yeah, I don't think, I don't know. There were a lot of of traffic out there? I
3: don't know. Uh, Maybe.
1: When the flying boat touched down on Flushing Bay, AEA publicists could claim the first Foynes New York nonstop flight only Forty-five minutes worth of fuel remained. That sounds like they had their reserve,
0: huh? Yep, yeah. Sounds quite legal. Yeah.
1: Um, so he goes on to say, the fact that the VS-44 was a flying boat may have eased the minds of the passengers a little as they were skimming over the water, but I can't imagine they would be too comfortable about it. Luckily, these days, it's easier to divert, but at the time, airfields were few and far between. I also have to give a shout out to my local air museum, the New England Air Museum, where the last surviving VS-44A, the Excambian, resides. If you ever find yourself up at Kilo, Bravo, Delta, Lima, Bradley International, in Windsor Locks, locks. it's uh, definitely worth a stop in. I've been meaning to do that for many, many years, Keith, uh, and welcome. I'm glad that you're here with us and part of our community and participating by sending us feedback and that uh, that's a cool story
3: absolutely i have a um pronunciation grammar question for jeff that's completely unrelated to anything we just talked about though
1: oh boy yeah go ahead stuff
3: <laughs> so the difference between um c o u g h t and c o t how do you pronounce those words
1: um, i say them exactly the same yeah okay caught but I know that uh, our I say them differently. representative from Britain would probably say caught I say cut, cut and caught oh, okay so there is a little bit of more of a w in there toward the end the yeah. caught caught so
3: that's a that's a funny merger <laughs> here in the in a lot of places actually
1: yeah I, I realized that's that uh, you know what it was interesting when, when I went to mass at um, the town what was it called Bam- Bambic? Baambik uh Nick help me out um when you and uh,
3: so here, <sighs> Nigel. Yeah, Nigel.
1: Right. Um, we're um, where
0: were oh, you I when I was going to meet? Oh, yeah, that's
1: right. You were in a pub. Um, yes, we were. Yes, we, we were, were scouting it own, out for me. Um, yeah, yeah, saying our own prayer. <laughs> Um So um, it was an interesting experience for me because I, uh, being I'm sure the only American in the congregation of uh, worshipers that uh and i'm sure that i'm sh- that the people in front of me were probably like turning around seeing who this awful accented american person is because uh, <laughs> i was obviously not pronouncing these english words that we share the same way and uh, the more i thought about it the, the more i thought you know you know there's a reason why they spell well like um Certain words with uh, double vowels and everything else, it, it is to be pronounced differently. But uh, you know, we good old Yanks, we just kind of simplified things. And and and, I'm not going to talk for all of us, but I <laughs> apparently simp- simplify things quite a bit. And whether it's spelled one way or another, I tend to pronounce it the same. So, I I thought it was interesting, and I, I started thinking to myself, maybe I should work on pronouncing things a
0: little bit more differently. Nah, there's
3: supposed know. to be variation. You yeah. can't help your accent.
0: Yeah. Well, no, what makes you you? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's yeah. a combination of your upbringing, where you live, how you integrate with the people around you. And your accent changes uh, depending on where you live anyway, I mm-hmm. think, because mm-hmm. you do tend to alter your accent things. to fit in more. Or, so, or stop uh, saying
3: things that you get made fun of for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well,
0: exactly. Yeah. Like, just so you you fit that in that. never happens to so me. It's obvious never. that you've. <laughs> yeah.
3: No, but so I find, I I find all Australia. that stuff fascinating. I really do. Sorry, go ahead. Nick.
0: So, when I lived in Australia for three years, I picked up a lot of the local. Uh, co- 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 ah, I can't say that it. word. Or C O L O Q. Colloquial.
1: Colloquialisms. That's a hard word to pronounce.
0: <laughs> and when I came back to the UK, everyone laughed at me because they said, oh, you sound like a damned Australian. But funnily <laughs> enough, the Aust- I never got Australian enough for the Australians to think I sounded mm-hmm. like an Australian. <laughs> you lost both ways. To- <laughs> yeah, I kind of moved to some halfway house in between. <laughs> and
1: nobody wanted to claim you.
3: No. oh,
0: nah. Anyway, fascinating
3: stuff. If you like linguistics, check out Lexicon Valley podcast. Lexicon no, Valley. No, interest, no financial interest related to that podcast at all, but I like listening to that one. I'll if have to like check it out. The House oh, and Wise one of, of, my favorites of Language
0: is is uh, the allusionist.
3: Uh, I was not aware of that one Which either. So another one.
0: I will check not that one. out, Illusionist, too. but allusionist. Yes, exactly. Okay.
1: All right. Well, moving on back to aviation. Let's see. Number three, Stephen, uh, again uh, commenting, commenting about our episode three thirty-three. It must have uh, been significant for a lot of
0: people well below the 50 percent. we're just catching
3: up to the feedback that was sent in after 333 how many weeks ago about four weeks ago what
0: it is yeah Yeah. and
1: everybody we do appreciate your feedback and uh that we get so much of it now that uh, we do sadly have to tell you that we're never going to get to all of it and um we hope you're not upset with us if we if you have sent us feedback in the past and we have never gotten a chance to uh to talk about it on the show Um, Now, many of you sending in feedback are new listeners and um, haven't listened to a lot of the previous 330-some-odd shows that we've done uh, over time, and a lot of times – what is a new subject uh, of interest for you may be something that somebody else thought was an interesting question to ask us. And so uh, you'll find if you listen to all the shows that we cover several topics several times. And, and lately we've decided that, you know, if it's something that we've talked about in the recent uh, past, then we're probably going to skip that one. So, and I do my best to, to answer uh, those kind of questions from people, on a one-to-one basis, if I can, I don't have all the time in the world to do that. But uh, I'll, I'll say, hey, love it, great question. But we've tackled this a couple times in the past, and so we're probably not going to talk about it again on the show. So, with that said, don't let that discourage you from sending us feedback because we really do ap- appreciate it. And you know, honestly, it's uh, it's it's a very large portion of our show and uh, what makes our show unique. All right. Stephen says, I love the podcast and always looking forward to the next episode. He's just finished podcast 333 and might have an answer for the audio feedback from Bill uh, discussing the helicopter flying under the Golden Gate Bridge. My understanding was that no fixed wing aircraft were supposed to fly under bridges in the United States, but helicopters were allowed to. Maybe the helicopter had a waiver because it was most likely flown by San Francisco helicopters out of San Francisco International Airport, which is a tour company that some people say tour. I say tour company that routinely flies under the Golden Gate Bridge. A picture of the helicopter is attached. I probably have a picture of it diving toward the bridge to fly under it, but I couldn't find it at the moment. And uh, and I I'm supposing that Stephen is giving me permission to uh, use this Beautiful picture of this helicopter, uh, and uh, share it with you, uh, folks listening to the show. So we'll put that in the uh, show notes, so you can see it yourself. Uh, very nice work, by the way. Anyway, he go, he uh, finishes off by saying, "Keep up the good work, and I love the information and the fun that is had on the podcast." And thank you, Stephen, in San Jose,
0: California. Now, Stephen has a picture of one flying under the helicopter, uh, one flying under the helicopter, (laughs) stupid me, one flying under the bridge, I would really like to see it because, I mean, admittedly it was only a cursory search, but Google Images usually pulls up an awful lot of pictures that you want to see, and I have Googled uh, flying under the Golden Gate Bridge, and I cannot find a single image Hmm. of an aircraft actually. Now, picture of a helicopter close to the... Of the bridge, but not one actually flying under it. So, I'm gonna say if you've got a picture, uh, Stephen, I would love to see it because I have, have yet to see physical evidence of someone actually doing that. So, I'm not yet convinced because I'm an old cynic. You're a doubting Thomas,
3: you're a curmudgeon, I am,
0: and i yeah. always like to, and I would also like to know what semper paratus means. Always always paratus. paratus always a parrot oh. i don't know i don't
1: know um uh, perhaps somebody got in the gear, got in the gear. somebody in the uh, chat room uh, if you know latin p-a-r-a-t-u-s it's ready
3: ready always ready always ready oh okay it is the coast guard official motto
1: oh really i uh, well, well, very good, well, good and uh, by the way he includes a link to a url that i assume is his um his web page and that's um, Mantegani, com. Yeah. Probably mispronouncing that. But again, we'll have all of this, including that helicopter picture and that link to what I assume is Stephen's website. Maybe awesome. we can peruse that and, and find that picture. This but Stephen,
0: oh, he's got a lot of aviation photographs on his website. It's a lovely looking uh, website, actually. Good stuff. What does Liz say? Oh, she said
3: prepared, which makes more sense with the Latin root as opposed to ready. Ah,
1: okay. Always prepared. That sounds like the Boy Scout motto, right? Or not be prepared. Be prepared. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Thank you, Stephen. Now we'll move on to Steve. Yeah, it's confusing, isn't it? Uh, Steve Hurst came across this video on link. Below of a British Airways A380 crew operating an arrival into San Francisco. And then he gives us a YouTube URL, a video URL. Um, As you will notice from the video, the first officer is operating the aircraft during the approach. And then on finals at around 1000 feet, the procedure is for the pilot flying to call out that the approach is stable. And then he hands over control to the captain who then lands the aircraft. I understand from other similar videos that I've seen before that this is the way, uh, this way of handing over control in the final approach is standard operating procedure for British Airways. So, in this example, on the return leg, the captain will operate the aircraft to the final approach, and at the 1,000 foot call, uh, the first officer will take control and perform the landing. From what I understand, this, this is not the norm, and for most other airlines, one pilot will operate the complete leg of the journey, including the landing. Then on the return leg, the other pilot gets his or her turn to operate the aircraft for the complete leg, including performing the landing. I'm not wishing to suggest that the British Airways' way of doing it is wrong, but I do wonder why they do it differently than most other airlines. Does it matter either way? Thanks, as always, for putting on a great show, Steve Hurst. I'd never heard of this, to be honest. I just assumed that everybody did it the way I guess most of us do, and that is if it's your leg, your flight, you do everything unless something happens, Uh, for instance, uh, the first officer, uh, it's his his leg, his flight. And then weather at your destination kind of drops below a certain minimum, and it's Gotten to the point where the captain has to do the approach and landing because of the low or visibility, a, or
3: if it's at an airport that's a captain-only landing, I right?
1: But if that's the case, then of course we would have known that and sure. you know planned for that, and so you know what, let me take this leg because I I'm going to have to land there, so sure. why don't I just fly the whole thing? But there have been a couple of times in my career where uh, it was a FO's leg. We didn't really expect the weather to get worse. We thought it would improve the the tafts kind of indicated that. And then, of course, you know, Murphy's Law, you get there and they're doing low visibility approaches and you go, hey, sorry, hate to take the landing away. I'll pay you back at some other point in the trip, but it looks like I'm going to need to perform the approach and landing. So uh,
0: what do you have to say, Nick? uh, Is this something that you've heard of before? Well, I've heard of it, uh, and it is very much a British Airways procedure. I have a feeling, uh, and this is just off, uh, from my memory, that um, it's been fairly long ingrained after uh, some accidents that they had, I don't know, back in the 60s, probably British European Airways, and they adopted this as a, as a safety procedure. And um, the way it kind of works is that the guy who is not going to land the airplane uh, uh, sets up the approach and flies it, Uh, Either, I guess he could hand fly I don't see why not, uh, or using the automatics until uh, the aircraft is stabilized on the approach and the guy who's going to land it is visual. And then he says, I'm visual, I have control, and he physically takes over the aircraft to perform the landing. Now, either pilot can have either role, so they do it in turns. Uh, um, The only thing that I have, because I've never done it, so I can't really comment on how successful it is, but BA is a very safe airline. They've got a great accident record um, and they've done it for years. So there's no doubting that it's, it's a safe procedure. There's no doubt about that at all. Um, but um, I personally um, think to myself, uh, I'm having to ask this guy to f- set up the approach um, if I don't like the way he's setting up the approach or the way he's – and there are lots of ways of setting up an approach. There's lots of different ways of adjusting the aircraft, uh, particularly when you're using the autopilot, uh, how the aircraft captures and uh, maneuvers down the approach. You can use vertical speed. You can use angle of approach. In, in our aircraft, you can use a variety of methods. I like the way I do it. And if I had a guy setting me up an approach who's doing it using different settings, I might not feel entirely comfortable. But I guess if I'm going to land the aircraft visually, um, I can always just take all the automatics out and just do it visually. But on the other hand, if it's a slightly marginal visibility day, I might not want to have. everything taken out, but I would want to have the airplane set up the way I like it when I take control. So and and if the guy's not doing it just the way you like, what do you do? You you start telling him how you want, or how much rate of descent you want to use, um, how what speed you want at what point, so that when you do take control the aircraft is perfectly as you would have set it up yourself. So that's the questions in my mind. I'd love to have some feedback from uh, a BA crew explaining how it all works I mean I've, I've watched the video I've seen how it works one guy flies it sets it up on the uh, the ILS and um, when the uh, the other guy is happy he just says visualize control and and takes over and lands it um, but I'd like to know what happens uh, if you do a go-around uh, who then flies the go around? Who monitors it, etc. How does that? Does it hand back control to the guy who's <laughs> yeah. on the? You industry? have the airplane oh, go sort of, around. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
3: <laughs> I, I don't want to land. It's back to you. Good luck. Yeah,
0: exactly. So you know, I, I do, I do. You know, have lots of questions in my mind, and I'd love to enter um, a discussion with someone who who does this. So, if there are any uh, uh, Big Bird um, pilots out there, then. <laughs> Please wait a minute. Uh, I don't know. think it's Big Bird. Oh, okay. It? All right. uh, well, oh, that's by the way, right. there's not a bad explanation on Skybray. Uh, those of you who aren't familiar, there's a great um, library of aviation procedures uh, called uh, Skybray. Dot um and uh, it's in there. And I and I did spend the afternoon trying to read it, but it quite honestly, it sent me to sleep. So <laughs> <laughs> it, it it is. It is long and, and rather tedious. Um, all about, you know, who who does what and, and what happens when you do this, that, and, and the other. And I was getting really confused as to, to who was pilot monitoring, who was monitoring and flying, who was uh, PICMA. What the hell is that? I, you know, I was getting a bit, you know, oh, it's too odd. I'll, I think I'll have a ziz. Instead. It does sound rather complicated to me. but Yeah, I must admit. I like to fly the approach. I like to do the landing when it's my turn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and apart from that, if you're going to do an, a nice bit of hand flying, you need to do that because I think that's where the skill is. And that's how you remind yourself how to hand fly the airplane. You fly it all the way down, you know, from a few thousand feet or even higher, and um, you do the landing. Uh, letting someone else do that and you just take control at, you know, 500 feet or so, in my mind, kind of defeats the object. I tend to agree. So but, yeah. for all
3: of you British Airways pilots out there listening, let us know.
0: Please, yes, love to enter a conversation about it. Yes, or a discussion.
1: Absolutely. All right, well, very good. Now, it's time for the very 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 bestest bestest best <laughs> part of the show. <laughs> and of course, that is the uh, old pilots plane tales. Take it away, old pilot.
0: The Old Pilot's Plane tails. Mayday, 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 Cathay 780 Mayday is derived from the French term, medie, meaning help me. Its use in aviation is attributed to a senior radio officer of Croydon Airport, Frederick Stanley Cockford, who first coined it in 1923 such is the reliability of modern aircraft, it's quite likely that the vast majority of pilots will go through their entire flying career without ever uttering a mayday call. It's only used in the most dire of circumstances, but on the 13th of April 2010, such a situation had developed on the Airbus A330 of Captain Malcolm Waters and his first officer, David Hayhoe. This is their story. They were operating Cathay Flight 780 from Sierra in the Java region of Indonesia, back home to Hong Kong's Cheplak Kok, with pretty much a full load, a total of 322 souls on board. Their aircraft was first flown in 1998, less than a year after the handover of Hong Kong, when the island's sovereignty was passed from the United Kingdom to China. When the crew climbed on board, it was parked on stand number eight. Looking at their paperwork, they would probably have spotted the notice to airmen that had been issued by the airport relating to their stand. It said in the usual jumble of abbreviations and poor English: Parking stand five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten. Operation, but caution advised due to work in progress. Remarks: Extension and closed pipe fuel hydrant system. From this, it would have appeared that some work was being done on the stands and care should be taken. In fact, Shirabaya had been enlarging their apron for around a year, and some of the work involved extending the refuelling circuit that supplied fuel to the stands, including the one where Cathay 780 was parked. For those unfamiliar, most modern airports supply large aircraft like the A330 with fuel through an underground pipe system from storage tanks on the edge of the airfield. The truck seen under the wing connected to the aircraft is little more than a mobile pump, correctly termed a hydrant dispenser, that takes fuel from a connection buried in the apron and passes it up to the fuel tanks. As the refueler pumped the additional 24.4 tonnes of fuel that the aircraft would require for the five-hour flight, he didn't question the fact that the flow rate was unusually slow, nor did he investigate the increase in differential pressure reading that he was getting or that the fuel filters in his fuel truck had required several unscheduled replacements. He did, however, stop refuelling on occasions because of an odd vibration that was occurring in the delivery hose, which he put down to trapped air. When he finished loading the fuel, he performed a visual and water check on a fuel sample and noted that it was bright and clear. Captain Waters accepted the aircraft and, with his first officer, prepared it for flight. They started both their Rolls-Royce Trent 700 engines and taxied out. It was first off Sir Hayhoe's leg, so he performed the takeoff and climbed it up to their cruise height. It was during the climb that the crew first spotted some slight engine pressure ratio fluctuations. It's a measure of engine thrust on the number two engine, but they were small only plus or minus 0.015 around the EPA target. EPA is a measure of the ratio of total pressure exiting the engine divided by the total pressure entering it. The number one engine also had some fluctuations, but within an even smaller range. They levelled their aircraft at flight level 390 and a little while later, a warning appeared on the ECAM page titled, Eng2 Control System Fault, with the advice note, Eng2 Slow Response. Contacting their operations centre by sat phone, they asked for technical advice. They discussed the options but agreed that apart from the IPA fluctuations, everything appeared normal, and so they cleared the warning and continued towards Hong Kong. Just over an hour later, after a slight turn, Flight 780 adjusted their cruising level to Flight Level 380, the correct semicircular height for their new heading. As they started their short descent, the ECAM again warned them of an Engine 2 control system fault, this time with the additional note to avoid rapid thrust changes. The crew turned on the engine anti-ice to see if this had an effect on the fluctuating EPA, but the gauge continued to oscillate. A further call was made to maintenance control, and Captain Waters expressed his concern as the EPA fluctuations on the number 2 engine had increased. The discussion came down to the fact that the number two engine hadn't been worked on at Surabaya and the slight fluctuations in the number one engine might be because it was compensating for the changes in the number two engine. The avoid rapid thrust changes note was probably related to a pressure probe that controlled the movable inlet guide vanes near the front of the engine that helps smooth the airflow through the compressors. Since the number one engine still appeared to be running well, as before, the advice was to continue to Hong Kong, where the engineers would replace the number two engine fuel metering unit. An hour and a half later, Flight 780 arrived into Hong Kong airspace. Hong Kong was on runway 07 left. The wind was nine knots across with good visibility. A few clouds at 600 feet and scattered cloud at 1800 feet. With a southerly wind coming over the high ground near the airport significant wind shear was forecast for both 07 left and 07 right but no actual alerts had been given. As they began their descent the engines throttled back and a short while later Another ECAM warning sounded and a smell of burning mixed with ozone invaded the flight deck from the cabin conditioning system. This time the fault read Engine 1 control system fault shortly followed by Engine 2 stall. The situation had just escalated from an annoyance to a full-blown emergency. An engine stall is a disruption of the airflow going through the engine. The fuel continues to burn, so the temperature rises quickly, in this case from around 400 degrees centigrade to well over 700, and the thrust the engine produces is negligible. The conversation on the flight deck was calm. Captain has identified the fault. OK, engine two stall. His first officer replied, Confirmed, I have control. Ecamm actions Ok, thrust lever number 2 Confirm Confirm, idle The captain continued Check, engine 2 parameters checked We've got fuel flow We've got EGT, rotation You fly the FADEC, the full-authority digital engine control computers on modern jet engines, are programmed to recognise and deal with various common types of failure, and a stall, while serious, is usually cleared by just pulling the throttle back and allowing the airflow in the engine to smooth out. Their descent continued, and realising the seriousness of their situation, the captain put out a pan call. Hong Kong uh, Cathay 780 pan 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 we are operating engine 2 at idle thrust at the moment but operations normal apart from that however realizing that they had problems on both engines captain waters made a wise decision Hong Kong Cathay 780 Pan, if we could just get priority thanks, we would like to track short as much as possible. Waters was already eyeing up his distance to the runway against his height, and just in case the worst occurred and both engines failed, he was ensuring that he could still make the airfield. However, at the moment he had one engine with a minor fault, and the other might clear its stall and become available, so he was just being cautious. He briefed his cabin crew on the problem, and with First Officer Heyho programming the approach, they both had their hands full. They also discussed what they would have to do if they needed to go around from their approach. Hong Kong was built on the edge of cheplak Island, which rises to over 3,000 feet just four miles south of the runways. The captain briefed it. Yep, a quick rebrief here. The engine out go-around in case of a go-around. It's climb on track to Sierra Mike Tango VOR. Right turn to Rover. Right turn onto a heading of 190 or a track of 190. Uh, Maximum speed is 220 knots until we are either on the 190 or above 2,500 feet. On a normal go-around, the crew would be faced with a track that winds between the peaks that surround Kowloon at nearly 3,300 feet, but a go-around with one engine inoperative is more difficult. That track must turn south to follow the narrow but safe channel between the islands. At this point, in accordance with Cathay Pacific Standard Procedures, Captain Waters took control of the aircraft and his first officer assumed the pilot monitoring duties. By now they had reached 8,000 feet and were around 300 knots, some 45 miles south of the airfield, when the situation took a turn for the worst. The ECAM warned, Engine 1 stalled has called for the ECAM actions, which required them to put their only remaining engine to idle to clear the stall. The speed started to bleed back, and has started a descent, holding them at a gliding speed. He tried advancing engine number two, but it remained firmly stuck at a very low idle speed. He tried engine number one, but that also failed to respond ho spoke over the radio. Approach. Mayday, mayday, mayday. Cathay 780 has engine 1 and engine 2 stall. Uh, currently we require a lower descent maintaining 8000. They worked the problem, but their conversation with the approach controller said it all. Cathay 780. Your position is 14 miles south of Soko. Roger. Cathay 780 Mayday. At the moment, we are heading 330 on a long base, trying to extend our glide as best as possible, and we are just trying for relights. Advancing the number one thrust lever, they got the engine up to about three quarters power, 70% N1, but there it stuck, regardless of whatever they did with the lever. In an attempt to recover the number two engine, they shut it down and performed a relight, but it remained at a near-useless sub-idle power setting. All whilst this was going on, the crew were handling multiple warnings as systems came offline, starts failed, and they had more engine stall messages. They were monitoring their position, making calls to the cabin crew and air traffic. Captain Waters even had time to speak to his passengers. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the captain speaking. As you no doubt, another warning chime sounded, may be aware, we have a small problem with our engines. Uh, You might feel some vibrations, and we've been given priority to land, but I do stress that it's very important that you remain seated with your lap straps fastened and follow the directions from your cabin crew. We are probably about six or seven minutes from touchdown, and we are just manoeuvring now for landing and descending. Please remain seated with your seat belts fastened. With one engine stuck and the other useless, at least they had some power, but Waters was in a dilemma. If he stayed high, thinking he might lose number one, and it remained running, he might overshoot the runway. If he came in lower and it failed, he might fall short and crash into the undershoot. He trod a careful middle path, putting what flaps he could down and lowering the gear but ensuring he stayed a bit high as he closed on the runway. His number one engine was still stuck at a moderately high power setting and that was becoming a problem as he needed to slow and get more flap out. With his gear down and full speed brake, he couldn't slow the aircraft to get all the flap he wanted, so warnings started. Too low, terrain, and pull up. With the runway in sight, Watters weaved his aircraft in a zigzag, trying to lose height and speed, but at three miles he was still doing 230 knots. Although they didn't voice their concerns, their talk was very professional. Both pilots must have realised that since their only remaining engine was stuck at less than full power, a go-around wasn't really an option. Captain Waters landed his aircraft at a ground speed of 231 knots, about 100 knots above the normal landing speed, with only the first stage of flap deployed. He would probably happily admit it wasn't his finest landing, They bounced and scraped the number one engine pod, but then settled onto the gear. He applied maximum manual braking and brought his aircraft to a halt with a thousand feet of the twelve and a half thousand foot runway left. But he, his crew and his passengers were safe and well. With his brakes reaching a thousand degrees centigrade and fires starting around the gear, He elected to evacuate the aircraft. There were inevitably some injuries, but the worst was a broken ankle, the majority being abrasions and bruises. Watters walked through the empty cabin with his senior cabin crew member to ensure that everyone had safely left before taking to the slides himself. He was the last to leave the aircraft. The investigation revealed that the fuel loaded onto Cathay Flight 780 in Surabaya was contaminated with superabsorbent polymer spheres. The spheres came from the monitoring filters in the hydrant dispenser, which refuelled Cathay 780. The filters had reacted to salt water that had been allowed to contaminate the refuelling circuit during the work that was being done on the apron, the sticky spheres travelled into the tanks of the A330 and eventually lodged in the fuel metering valve, which controls the fuel flow into the engine. They eventually caused the valves to seize in their final position. In addition, the SAP spheres were found in the fuel-operated actuators of the inlet guide vanes of both engines and they were bad enough to seize the actuators of the number 2 engine. The problem of fuel contamination at Surabaya was put down to insufficient flushing of the fuel pipes following their recommission and also to a lack of alertness on the part of the refuelling personnel. These issues have been dealt with. This was the first of this type of fuel contamination to ever occur in the civil world, but in light of the lessons learned, Airbus revised its QRH to include a section on suspected fuel contamination for Rolls-Royce, Pratt & Whitney and General Electric Engines. Captain Waters and First Officer Hayhoe were commended for their actions in bringing their aircraft safely home and for the excellent crew coordination, handling skills and technical knowledge that they displayed. In addition, in March 2014, the pilots were awarded the Polaris Award by the International Federation of Airline Pilots Associations for their heroism, and airmanship.
1: Wow, another interesting plane tale.
0: The yeah, bestest, best just, part of the show. The best, best, bestest, <laughs> best. <laughs> yeah. 200 I, I and how many thanks. knots did he land at? That's 231. Wow. And that's what he landed at. So, yeah. you know. Yeah, impressive. Impressive speed. Uh, I mean, the aircraft will fly down to, I mean, I guess it's approached to be probably 135. So he was really working hard to get the airplane onto the runway at that kind of speed. Because, yeah, uh, it was not easy for him. So uh, I have to applaud him for being able to do that. Uh, And I also have to applaud the aircraft for, at that speed, uh, being able to stop. Uh, that's pretty impressive. I mean, he managed to get the the running engine that was stuck at about 70% into reverser because the other engine was useless. Um, and uh, th- there were lots of aspects of this uh, emergency that I couldn't include just because I didn't have time. Uh, and, uh, you know, you, I just have to take my hand off to the professionalism of the crew. They, When, when you uh, read the full a transcript, they were really on it. They were they were excellent. Their procedures, their discussions, everything was just like the best demonstration simulator you've ever seen. I was really impressed. Excellent. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was a lovely display of skill.
1: Well, and I think that uh, these plain tales are lovely displays of your 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 storytelling skill.
0: Oh, you're very kind. I have to thank uh, Hong Kong Ant for that suggestion because I had not, despite the fact that I fly that type of aircraft and we usually get a lot of cross fertilization uh, between incidents, I had not heard of this one. So, yeah. uh, never heard of it either. Yeah. I, I really appreciate uh, Hong Kong Ant's suggestion uh, that we cover it, and I've learned a great deal, uh, and particularly about this type of uh, fuel contamination, which uh, came from the filtering system within the, um, the hydrant dispenser, which broke down because it uh, was contaminated by the salt water that got, had got into the fuel gallery, uh, and then the contents of the filter um, escaped, these uh these polymer things which sound a bit like the stuff you've got in your baby's nappies that soak up all the wet (laughs) you know it sounds like a similar sort of stuff yeah yeah. but it was there to capture contaminants but it sounded like the salt water was was sufficient for it to turn into something else and and when you see the um the uh electron microscopic uh, images of these particles they're they're like those tiny little um, plastic beads uh, that everyone's worried about getting into the ocean um, it's just like clouds of those and, but they were very tacky sticky they were they they, uh, they stopped all the moving parts in the fuel system uh, were starting to stick together and there was the problem the the crew really had uh, and there had been no other incidents uh, before. Um, perhaps one with a military aircraft, but not sure. Uh, certainly none that they knew about that uh, gave them any clue as to what was happening, really. So it was a, a well-handled emergency, I thought. Definitely, Very nice, very nice. Okay, moving on. We have about um, half an hour, maybe
1: a little bit less uh, left in the show, so we're going to try to push on and try to tackle as many more pieces of feedback in the feedback folder as we can. Uh, let's do 14 uh jay johnson writes hi captain jeff and the apg crew my name is jay johnson i've been listening to you all for a while now i've always been a fan of aviation and because of getting a glimpse of an airline pilot's life through your podcast i started flight school at a flight academy to become an airline pilot
3: yay excellent
1: i just well passed my private pilot written exam morier Woo-hoo. And I'm uh, going to be soloing next week. Now, he sent this on the 11th of August. It's now the 23rd. So I bet that he's done his solo already.
3: So we'll just say congratulations.
1: Congratulations. You are now a...
3: Everyone remembers their first solo. Everyone yes. remembers their first time, don't they?
0: Yes. Yes, they do. I remember my first time. I don't have many memories of my first solo. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay. Okay. Moving on. And I wanted to thank you all for inspiring pilots of all ages. He says I'm 23 and for setting an excellent example for the aviation community. Because of you, I found out how rewarding, challenging and just plain fun pun intended. Oh, plain P-L-A-N-E fun aviation is. And you guys rock. Yay. Thank you. Also, I've mm. been donating on Patreon for a couple months now to help support things. Thank and uh, oh, this is right. So he said that he hadn't heard his name. I think I mentioned this on the last show that somebody had said, Hey, I I'm a new patron. I didn't hear um, any like acknowledgement regarding that. And he said, I haven't heard my name on the coffee fund, but then he said it could be part of my 50% error rate. <laughs> but Uh, But I'm not petty. I'm just a student pilot who one day hopes to share the skies with fantastic aviators like you. And uh, so, again, uh, just to reiterate what I said on the last show, I believe uh, that if you are a new patron or you've made a contribution uh, to the coffee fund in any way, and I haven't mentioned it on the show, please uh, send me an email and let me know. Because it is definitely not, it was probably just an oversight on my part, not intentional at all. Unless it's like one of you people that I don't like your names and whatever, you know, so that (laughs) should be it too. Jeff does play
3: favorites. I do play favorites.
0: uh, Yeah. yeah. You know me. Anyway, I'd just like to say that uh, we we were all e- in exactly the same place as you uh, are right now, Jay. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we, we all managed to get through and we have absolutely no doubt that if your heart's in it, you'll, uh, you'll be sitting on a big cockpit one day and having the time of your life. So good luck. I've heard somebody say in the past many, many
1: times, if there is a will, there's a way. Absolutely. It sounds like you have the will to do it, Jay.
3: I also like that he insinuates that you know our fifty percent accuracy rate is in part due to be co- due to the fifty percent error rate of our listeners. Oh, is I listening like that. error? Yeah, yeah. Good so we don't point. have to yeah. blame ourselves completely. No, no, no. This no, no, is no, shared you, blame. Thank you, Jay.
0: It's it's Jay all the guy, Dumbo's out you. there listening to us. <laughs> is that what it is?
3: <laughs> yeah. Yes.
1: Yeah. It's not us. We're not making big mistakes. It's you all. No, no, no. It's, not that now. it's not me. It's not me. It's you. And,
0: and everything else is fake news. <laughs>
1: exactly. All right. Um, you ever heard of this guy? Uh, his name is uh, Pip. Who? He does a, uh, Pip, uh, I don't know what that stands for, P-I-P, person in, well. Pilot in potty. Pilot in uh, potty. yeah. Uh,
0: Pilot. Something like that.
1: Uh, Okay. Well, anyway, we could come up with all kinds of fun things, couldn't we? Uh, He sent us some audio. Oh, by the way, Pip does a wonderful podcast, another podcast promotion here today. He is the host of the Plane Safety Podcast, and you should check it out if you haven't yet. And uh, let's take a listen to what Pip has to say.
5: Hi, gang. It's Pip here with just a brief comment on a story that you guys covered, well, a couple of episodes ago now regarding... It was either Air China or China Eastern 747 that uh, missed the runway, did a a brief touch and go on the grass and uh, managed to damage some airport property uh, signs or lighting or something in the process. And then they subsequently, when questioned by local police or airport authorities, remained very tight lipped. These guys didn't want to say anything. Uh, And I just wanted to say that I, you know what, I I kind of understand where they're coming from and I, I In a similar position, I might be quite reluctant as well to talk to anybody without at least first maybe talking to my boss fleet manager or the uh, DFO or some sort of uh, legal advice. I guess it's sort of like when you have a, a minor road traffic accident and you're swapping insurance details. You know, the first rule is you don't admit liability. You let the insurance companies sort it out. You know, if you're in a foreign country, perhaps it's not your native language, and you don't know the implications, the legal implications of what you might say, then perhaps it is wise not to say too much. I remember at my company at SafeJets a few years back, we had an incident at one of the Moscow airports. We had a a gear up landing. It was actually a really nice example of a planned emergency. Uh, Everything turned out really well in the end. But in the process of this gear up landing, the guys, uh, the captain of whom I know very well, uh, they did damage some airport property. They slid off the side of the runway and bust some lights and some airport signs. And in the immediate aftermath, they were descended upon by the Russian airport authorities and were presented with a number of forms and paperwork with which they were harassed pressured quite strongly to to sign. And very wisely, the captain said, no, I'm not going to sign any of this because A, I don't know what the heck it says and I I don't know the implications and I don't know what I'm letting myself in for, Uh, which is a very um, savvy move in the end as it turned out these forms were, if he had signed them, were saying that he admitted full liability for the incident and all the damage caused to the airport. So he was going to be personally responsible in somewhere like... Uh, you know or at least some parts of the world should we say you you, you don't want to admit responsibility for stuff like that you could end up um, in a very unfortunate position so I just wanted to make the comment that I kind of appreciate and understand where that Chinese pilot was coming from and perhaps in a similar situation myself or or you or anyone else um, might feel the same way anyway that's it for now take care all see you soon
1: Thanks, Pip, and you didn't even mention your show, Plane Safety.
0: Either. No, no it was a great message. show. Yes, please Albeit listen. a little infrequent.
3: Yeah, I thought he uh, put out an episode every week. Oh wait, that's awesome.
1: <laughs> um, I think, you're, think you're thinking of a different show. I
0: <laughs> I'm think.
3: thinking of us. I think.
1: Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I he was. Thi- yeah. he's I'm sure he'll have someone.
3: I'm sure he'll have a new episode out sometime in the next decade. So, yep. Yep. sooner sure. or later new plane safety episode
0: but when they come out we love them we do we do uh they're they're
1: always informative and entertaining for sure uh so uh, the only thing i wanted to say here is that uh, when we talked about this and the fact that the ops people were saying that they weren't getting much information i'm not sure what kind of information they were asking mm-hmm. of these uh china airlines uh wasn't it china or china yeah. freight yeah. or whatever uh, yeah um, it was a i think freight, say, uh, yes so uh, I'm not sure exactly if there were very basic questions about hey, did you like land off part of the runway and do, do, do you know if you took out any of our equipment or or if it was more in depth? Now, I agree that anytime there's an incident or accident, we're always uh, reminded by our Union representation is don't don't say anything don't make any statements until you have a chance to talk to somebody a representative from the union um, you know even if you are just absolutely positive that it wasn't any fault of yours uh, that you you might say something the wrong way and we're here to represent you you need to kind of you know cool off and think about it before you just start you know spouting off stuff so I mean I, I agree with you there you want to make sure that. That you have all your thoughts collected before you start making any statements or signing papers, as Pip mentioned in his experience. How you know the person? Uh, fortunately, did not sign the papers uh, admitting. No, no,
3: Captain Jeff, just just sign right here on the line.
1: Yeah. Well, oh, okay. It's gonna be fine. Right here? Just sign. You want right my here. autograph?
3: Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. You're a hero. Sign yeah. here.
1: Yeah. So, what, what do you think, uh, Nick?
0: Well, in my license, this is my. ATPL license. I have this, and it's a little fold out thing. Yes, <laughs> like that's right. <laughs> Yeah, this is how much it cost me, which was given to me by my union. And uh, I've had it in there for my entire career, and from the first day they put it, out. and it is. Uh, our unions little um, memo about what to do if you have an accident it might seem stupid but actually the last thing in your mind is going to be your conduct when all the adrenalines coming down and you, you realize you're safe and it's going to be okay um, actually that is the time you're most likely to make a uh, a big mistake if you're in a foreign country and you know there's still some explanations and here's a few highlights from it so they say um for example starts off if detained by the police comply with the orders if they start to ask questions politely advise them that you do not want to make any statement until you have consulted a lawyer Uh, there's more uh, this is just a few snippets. Do not sign anything without legal representation. Um, uh, they give all the telephone numbers. So step one discharge discharge your responsibilities and ensure the safety of your passengers and crew. There's a bit more to that, but step two, secure the aircraft so that removal or interference with its contents is only permitted to authorized officials. Step three, follow company procedures. Step four, keep your crew together. If possible, obtain rest facilities away from the scene. Advise crew members of your intentions and keep them informed. Step five, you may be required to comply with drug and alcohol testing. If there's any doubt in regard to the result, ensure that you insist on retaining a duplicate sample for independent analysis. Six. Make no statement to the media or take part in any press conference. Uh, Step seven, you must produce your flying license if required. Um, You should not allow the official to retain the license. Uh, Step eight, um, consider carefully the wisdom of continuing to operate further flights. Nine, if possible obtain copies of all original documents and copies of recorded interviews. Um, Prepare all written statements, statements, 10, with the help of your union representative and legal counsel and consider carefully authorizing any circulation beyond the official official investigation. And 11, if required to make statements in the uh, absence of specific advice, confine them to factual evidence without speculating, amplifying uh, and in the language of your choice. Warning. Parts of the aircraft structure and its contents may be made of materials that are dangerous. Um, and there's a whole bunch of telephone numbers that I can use to get hold of the experts in my union. And I've always had that. With I've never ever considered the possibility of having an accident. But those kind of things are vital when you do so. It gets your head in the right mode. You're now in a kind of survival situation certainly for the first 24 or 48 hours until you can get expert advice and um, you can have other people with a clear head help guide you through the next few days. Do you, would you mind reading out uh, the all the telephone
1: numbers as well? <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I could if you want No, no, I'm but, just kidding. Uh, you would have Cost to cut for, that out. For, <laughs> uh... <laughs> um, yeah, with the names and the telephone. No, let's not yeah, do that. Exactly. Um, it, it reminds me a little bit of the uh, many of the people listening to the show saw the movie Sully, and uh, it, it was mm. the kind of thing uh, exactly where they there was a, a major accident, and uh, he didn't go off and just immediately start, you know, spewing stuff I, from what I remember. Um, maybe. The, Maybe they did. I don't know. Am I right about that? Where they didn't really say much no, right away? No, you're they, correct.
0: They yeah. Okay. No, Their union reps are pretty much and they were, on the scene. they were on yeah, it. Almost straight quickly. away. Yeah. 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 And and the thing is to have just someone there who's not involved, who has a clear head. Yeah. It doesn't have to be initially a union rep. But it has to be someone independent, preferably not in the company, preferably not in the investigation or on the police, uh, who can be an independent, uh, arbiter can give you a bit of friendly advice to make sure you don't blow your mouth off and say something that could subsequently incriminate you, not because you deserve to be incriminated, but because you're just not really in control of your full faculties anymore. You're, you're just, you're just probably bemused as to what's occurred. Great advice,
1: Nick. Thank you. Okay. um, Quickly, we're going to skip around here. Number eight. uh, Kent writes, thought you might want to know about this and pass it on to the APG community for commercial pilots. No need to mention my name. Oops. Sorry, Kent. (laughs) Second time. (laughs) Too late. Yeah. Uh, So he he sent me a link or sent us a link that that we'll have in the the show notes. And uh, it's um, a link to LinkedIn, funny enough. Dot com And uh, this is posted by Catherine B. Preston. Uh, commercial pilot input needed. The FAA-funded airport cooperative research program, the ACRP, is examining factors affecting the use and availability of electric preconditioned air, PCA, and 400 hertz ground power systems at U.S. airports. The research team needs pilot input to gain a complete understanding of this challenge and identify solutions. If you're a commercial pilot or know know someone who is, please message me to participate in a four-minute survey. It really is only four minutes to complete. Thank you. And so I went to the link, clicked on it, and um, I am on LinkedIn, although I have to admit I hardly ever go there. So if you have sent me some kind of request to... Add me and all that kind of stuff, uh, and I haven't—you haven't heard from me. Well, it's because I really never go to LinkedIn.
0: I heard the Sultan of Brunei was offering you a job. Oh, really? Uh, oh, maybe and I. There's someone it. with
3: lottery winnings trying to get in touch with you. Two hundred, well.
0: 250000 uh, know dollars a month. You guys are joking. So you didn't—you didn't get that? No. Anyway, oh,
1: my pr- the problem. Well, I have many problems, but the problem that I had when I clicked on this link is that apparently at least it seems to me, I don't know if you guys have tried to click on this link or not, uh, Negative. But mine oh, yeah. said that, uh, oh, you have to be a premium LinkedIn member to access this person's oh, really? stuff. And I'm thinking, well, I don't, I don't want to be a pre- here. You can sign up for a free trial. And I go, no no, 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 I'm not doing that. So I don't know. Maybe it was just me. Maybe I clicked the wrong thing or whatever. So I'm not sure, but you may run into that, but hopefully not because I'm sure that Catherine, B. Preston would like to hear from as many commercial pilots as possible when it comes to uh, doing the survey. So,
0: Well, I, I can do the same right now. Yes, we'd like ground power. Yes, we'd like preconditioned air.
1: Yes. As long as Every it's reliable ground power and it yep. is a really, really good conditioned air where it doesn't require yep. that we have our APU running to supplement yep. it.
0: Because I don't want to run my APU unnecessarily. Exactly. We would love to do that. And- Oh,
1: by the way, uh, don't pull the power in air, especially the air, (laughs) well, actually either, uh, before you have uh, asked us either non-verbally or verbally uh, to do so. Thank you very much.
0: Because that becomes very embarrassing.
1: Yeah, and uh, yeah, especially at night, it gets very dark. And uh, if we've spent the last 15, 20 minutes or more inputting our – flight plan and performance data and all that kind of stuff in our computers and our computers die and then we have to reboot and do everything over again. We don't really like it.
0: Nope. It kind nope. of irritates us. And it us. gets very hot in the airplane. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. 300 people crammed into a metal tube is not good. Right. So,
1: yeah, that's what we have to say about
0: that. Yeah. I was going to say, Catherine, is a bit of a no-brainer, but do carry on anyway. Yeah. Yes, Hopefully, but there must be
3: th- data to support changes.
1: <laughs> good point HR
3: just saying
0: thank you HR
1: okay it's um,
3: a, it, listen it's an easy study for right mm-hmm. yeah publishable maybe yeah true anyway hopefully
1: uh I, I'm gonna give it a go again see if I can participate because I would really like to um I have been and maybe
3: actively trying to get rid of my LinkedIn account and don't seem to be able to so that's all I'll say about LinkedIn
1: yeah I mean uh, <sighs> I can't tell you how many times I, during the week between shows, I'm thinking, that's it. I'm quitting Facebook. But then I remember there is a airline Pilot Guy show page <laughs> on Facebook, and that would probably die as well. So I don't know. It's like, oh, I just do not want to. Yeah, anyway, social so, media anymore. Especially, if, uh, you know, sorry to those of you who out out there who love Facebook, but I'm not one of them. Okay. And uh, finally, we have a, a, one more piece of audio feedback for today's show. We're going to close it uh, with this one. And this is from Arun. Arun, uh, He's in India. And he said, uh, here's some audio feedback. Thank you so much for the podcast. And he said, says, sent from his iPhone. And uh, so let's listen to Arun and his audio feedback.
2: Hey, Captain Jeff. It's me, Arun, your listener from India. I want to preface this feedback by giving you a little context. Um, I live in the southern state of Kerala, K-E-R-A-L-A for those of you that are interested. Um, And recently we've been hit by massive floods, floods the likes of which we've never seen. And first off I'd like to thank the Air Force and tell you about the wonderful work that they've been doing. Our skies were filled with C 17 Globemasters and Ilyushin 76s. And we personally, I was personally affected by the flood, and we personally got like four um, helicopter loads of supplies, medicines, and stuff. And the armed forces were doing a great job, and I'd be remiss if I did not thank them. So if anyone in the indian air force or the Coast guard is listening i want to thank you personally for doing an amazing job you guys were heroic and the second person that i'd like to thank is captain jeff himself um let me explain on the first day of the disaster the water levels were climbing really quickly i mean it went up by six feet in a couple of hours and i was understandably tensed and I did not have much to do because I was practically stranded in my house. I did not have anything else to do. And doing nothing was driving me insane. It was, it was just so tr- scary and traumatic. So what I did was I put on a few episodes of Airline Pilot Guy. And Captain Jeff, your humor and, you know, your overall demeanor calmed me down a lot. It really did calm me down. And you helped me so much that I cannot even tell you how much you helped me. It really calmed me down in that situation and I really thank you for that. Um, I don't know, Captain Jeff, you re- did a really, you know, you, you helped me a lot that day. If you're ever in the area, like, and I doubt that you will ever be in you know, South India, I'd be more than happy to buy you a beer and some you know, authentic Indian cuisine so if, you ever, if you're ever in the area, hit me up. I mean, great podcast. I mean, you really did touch me personally that day. Thank you so much, Captain Jeff. You know, clear skies and tailwinds. Boy, don't we take clear skies for granted.
1: Yes, we do. Thank you very much. That was, uh, that was uh, something. Um, I appreciate the kind words. Um, and I'm glad that our show, Was there to help you kind of take your mind off of the very stressful situation uh, that you were experiencing there. And, uh, you know, we we do this, you know, out of uh, love for and passion for aviation and uh, our love and passion for our community. And uh, honestly, for selfish reasons as well. I mean, at, at least I'll speak for myself. Because I really get a kick out of every week being able to get together with really good friends and talk about mostly aviation, not always, but uh, it just uh, it, it's a really uh, a big part or the best, best, bestest part of uh, the week for me is getting together and doing the show. And uh, I'm glad that uh, our excitement about you know talking about aviation and uh, you know the building of the community is something that you have benefited from, Arwen.
3: I second what Jeff said. Cheers. Uh, Thank you, absolutely. Jeff.
0: Absolutely, and I hope the aftermath of that flooding hasn't left you in too bad a state. Mm, yeah, it great. sounded like it was a very uh, big problem for a lot of people. We take a
1: lot of things for granted, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. when we hear somebody like you talking about the floods and everything else, it's just uh, you know it really makes you think about you know our own lives and and you know what we consider hardships, and when you compare it to what some folks hardships are around this world. It's nothing. So True. Very Absolutely. true. Absolutely. All right. Well, again, thanks everyone for the uh everyone, for the uh feedback. And uh, that's gonna do it for today's show. Um, not sure how much this thing is going to work out to because we had to take a little technical break there, but uh, it's going to be somewhere between 2:45 and three, I think. So that's just about right. And uh, I think the last thing that we should do before we end today's show is talk about some resources for you. Uh, the AirlinePilotGuy.com pilot guy.com website uh, where you can, you know, you can watch the show, listen to the show. You can learn about the crew and the community um, by merchandise. I think that's still there. Um, uh, learn about the coffee fund if you have the financial resources to uh, support us in that way. And uh, and much, much more. So uh, check it out, airlinepilotguy.com. Uh, coffee fund. Oh, I did, I did mention that, didn't I? Um, let's see. What else? We have apps for our smart devices, uh, iOS Which and
0: Android. sadly didn't notify today. What? Oh, you didn't. Oh, I, I got, got one. It. I got one. Yeah. Oh, uh, Captain Nige said no nah, didn't get any I didn't see one on mine. Well unavailable um, in the
3: UK today we apologize. Yeah
0: fair we blocked out the UK
1: sorry. <laughs> but uh yeah I did get uh, get one um yep. and, Same here. Yeah which I'm very surprised by but because uh, uh it's been pretty consistent for me uh in the last several episodes so that's good that at least it's working for some of us. Um, but anyway, that's part of the, uh, you know, the advantage uh, when it works, uh, having the app on your phone, even if you never refer to it, you can set it up for push notifications. And when we plan to do a show and when I've finished the editing and posting, I'll put out a push notification, letting you know that it's available. Um, and uh, I have noticed
3: if you stop getting the notifications for some reason, if you uninstall it and reinstall it, that seems to fix the Uh problem. Okay. Very Does that good. happen
0: to I, me? I got it on my iPhone. is probably using some cheap, nasty Hong Kong
1: phone. <laughs> <laughs> I, probably an Android uh, platform. So maybe there's something going on with the Android uh, push notifications. But whatever. It's free. You know, you can't, you know, you don't lose anything except for maybe a little tiny bit of space on your phone. Uh, so check that out uh, by going to the Google Play Store for the Android and then the uh, Apple uh, iOS App Store, whatever, whatever they're calling it, App Store, I guess. Um, And we're on social media as well.
3: Indeed we are. You can head over to Twitter at APG crew is where you'll find all of us. Our individual account information is pinned to the top of that page. If you'd like to interact with us one-on-one. Or you can head over to Facebook, Facebook.com slash AirlinePilotGuy, assuming that Jeff does not get so fed up with Facebook that he deletes his account in the next week or so.
0: <laughs> but we'd to love to have myself. you there. keeping eye it on. It. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yes, mostly manned by Captain Nick, so we appreciate his efforts there.
0: Yeah.
1: Liz and Captain Nick kind of keep watch over there on the uh, Airline Pilot Guy show page. And uh, we're also on Slack, and I've been... Much better lately of, of, you know, kind of checking that out and uh, not I'm such being a, a slacker, slacker myself. Oh, no, I'm a slacker. And, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. Hillel will uh, tell you about that. Hillel, come on out now. Okay. Here, let me move out of the way.
4: APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share ideas and news. We suggest episode and tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S L A C K Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled H I 1 1 E 1, Hotel India 1 1 Echo 1. And see you in Slack.
1: Thank you, Hillel, and uh, thanks again for uh, setting that all up for us and kind of managing that whole thing. I know that's uh, not an easy job. And uh, finally, uh, looking forward to being back here again next week for another show, talking about aviation news and answering some more feedback. And until next time, wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care, and God bless.
3: Cheers, y'all. Good night, everybody. Good day.